Hey, we watch the entire spectrum of film. We honor the entire spectrum of film. You sit at the top. It's true. It's true at the bottom. And we will return next week with a very long montage summarizing <laughs> this episode. I challenge you. I challenge you to edit that me into this Tommy. <laughs> Hell, I must be crazy. <laughs> you know, if the institution ever found out about this, they would haul our butts back in and straight check them. Permanent. You didn't have to come, Haas. This is between me and Jason. I know, I know, I know. But I still don't get the therapy here. All you need to know is Jason's dead, right? <laughs> Seeing his corpse ain't gonna stop the hallucinations. Seeing it won't, but destroying it will. Jason belongs in hell. I'm gonna see he gets there. started in 1957 there was a boy a a camper at camp crystal lake he was different than the other kids and for some reason nobody was paying attention to him and he wasn't a very good swimmer he drowned it's awful a year later when the camp reopened two camp counselors were found brutally murdered (gasps) slashed to pieces they closed the camp down and tried to reopen it in 1962 but then they found all the water had been poisoned at that point, the locals started to call this place Camp Blood. In 1979, Steve Christie, who was part of the Christie family who owned Camp Crystal Lake, tried to reopen it. Everybody except for one girl was brutally slain. Oh, my God. They say it was the boy who drowned in the lake. But he drowned. We didn't find anything. No, he didn't. And he's still there. <laughs> he got up out of the lake. Apparently, as a small boy, <laughs> he lived <laughs> like a feral man ape, like a stink ape in the woods, like a Sasquatch. And he built himself a shed, a shack, a shanty, a lakeside shanty to live in with a toilet <laughs> and no indoor plumbing. Where did the feces go, Paul? Nobody knows. Well, that's how the lake got poisoned, Jason. But he had a toilet. (laughs) Five years later, in 1984, a bunch of kids, some counselors, came to get some training. And instead, they got murdered. Well, half of them, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, half of them. The rest got drunk. And then the next day, some other people in a different part of the town, but at the same lake, they got murdered. But this time, it was in 3D. (laughs) And then, a couple of days later, 
some more people got murdered. And this time, Corey Feldman was there. Thank God. And then, five more years later, an EMT, a paramedic, saw his fatso son get brutally hacked to pieces by a psychopath at a, at a nut house. It was all, during the film, there was some kind of a porno. The whole thing's really weird. I barely remember it, but it was real sleazy. Real, real sleazy. So he dressed up like Jason, but he wasn't Jason. And then Corey Feldman was contractually obligated to be elsewhere, so he didn't come back to Crystal Lake. And they got this other guy right before he became an evangelical. And then he was going to be the new Jason. But then everybody hated all of that. Yeah. And even though they said that Jason's ashes had been scattered and there was nothing left of him, the Craven movie producers, who were ashamed of putting these out, these movies out, but not ashamed of cashing the checks and getting the bonuses that these movies gave them, mm. decided to make another movie. And they didn't just make one more movie. They made six more movies. And that brings us, Paul... To the worst nightmare of them all. The binge movies. Halloween Spooktacular. Friday the 13th Retrospective. Part 2. Paul. We're beginning with part 2 of the retrospective. Yeah. Brings us up. If we're following the timeline of events I just laid out. In... Oscar-worthy fashion to you that brings us to the year 1990. Not the year the movie was released, but the year the movie would have had to have been set in to make any sense of the timeline I just laid out. Does that mean that Tommy Jarvis in this film is only like 18? I have no idea how old. Okay, so Tommy Jarvis was what in uh, uh, Final Chapter? 11? What would you guess? 10, 10 11, 11 years old? Right. Yeah. Oh, Corey Feldman was really young. I don't think he was quite 12. I no? mean, he did have okay. a pe- penchant for boobs, but I don't think that's quite right. I, let, let's say he was like uh, eight or nine years old. This information is probably out there somewhere. And right now, all the Friday the fr- 13th fanatics are screaming at us saying, you fucking noobs, you fucking marks, you can't get anything right. Feldman was 13 when this film was released. Holy when, shit. Oh when the final oh. chapter was released. So was Tommy Jarvis supposed to be 13? Is that what we're supposed to assume? Let's just, let's just make that assumption. Maybe 12. Okay. Maybe time was shot 12. Okay. So let's say, Tom, let's, let's say Tommy Jarvis is 12 years old, all right? Yeah, let me dig through my timeline here. Tommy Jarvis is 12 years old. Friday the 13th, the final chapter is supposed to take place in, in 1984. It came out in 84, right? So it's concurrent. So he's 13. So by 1990, he would be how old, Paul? Six years older, so he'd be 19, 19 like you said. Yeah. Tommy um, Jarvis looks a lot older than 19 to me <laughs> in this film. <laughs> he also doesn't look like Corey Feldman, nor does he look like the guy who played him in uh, 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 the new beginning because he's Tom Matthews now, right? Isn't that who plays him? He is 26 years old. <laughs> yeah, and looks all of 26 years old yep. uh, during the filming of this. But it's okay because it has to be set in 1990, although they never say it's 1990. But that's the only way the math adds up as far as the years. 
And so if we're going to call 1986, 1990, we can call 26, 19. Uh, and because <laughs> it enough. gives us Tom Matthews, arguably the best, definitely my favorite Tommy Jarvis. Oh, um, sure. Mostly, mostly because um, I think the character is really cool. And uh, this is the guy who, uh, of course, starred in uh, Return of the Living Dead Return just the a year Dead. before. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, 1985. So, Tina, I can smell your brains. <laughs> <laughs> Paul is the host of the Countdown Movie and Tea Reviews podcast, one of the most successful independent film podcasts in Australia. And uh, he is the very Baby. first and greatest guest. No, it's true. I've seen the numbers. He's our very first and greatest guest uh, and a good friend of mine. And he lets me torture him every Halloween by making him binge an entire franchise. This one was so big, we had to split it in two parts like a turd in the bowl. We had to get the <laughs> turd stick out. Is that Ultra. a thing in Australia or are Australians too sophisticated for that? Because in America, now I didn't grow up in a family that did this. And in fact, I find the idea repulsive. But there are people who have a special stick that's in their home just to break up the turds of the bowl. Oh, we, we have dunny brushes. Is that what you're talking about? It, it's like a toilet brush. Yep. If you, if you need to get in there to, to get rid of some of the, what's left behind after several flushes, you got to do what you got to do. Now, these are special poop sticks that people just use to break it up. Some people have poop scissors. What? <laughs> I, I, this, this became, see, this is where the internet is a sin, Paul, because people started like, oh, everybody's got poop scissors. I was like, what the fuck? I thought it was a joke or mean. Then all these people are like, oh, yeah, our family's had it for, yeah, we've always had something. Generations have been handed down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've been handed down from father to son. <laughs> everybody's got a turd cutter in the family. And wow. I don't. My family no, never had a turd cutter. That is, that's new to me, I gotta say. But binge movies is the poop scissors for the turd that is the Friday the 13th franchise. I say that, but if you didn't listen to the first episode, you might have missed me waxing poetic about the fact that I think of all of the horror franchises, certainly the ones we've covered so far, and we've covered Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and now the mother of them all, in a sense, uh, even though it was a ripoff, the Friday the 13th series. (laughs) Um, I think I have the most nostalgia and the most goodwill towards this one. Um, I don't know I why they're they're all the same movie, <laughs> more or less. There's, there's, there's no <laughs> rational explanation as to why. No. Having reset through them, <laughs> no, there is none. But there's something about them that just sort of warms the cockles of my heart. And speaking of cockles of hearts, and welcome back, Connors. I think it's time. I'm looking at my watch. Let's move forward to 1990 <laughs> for a movie sort of. that came out in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> of course we're talking about the thing i already teased at the top of the episode friday the 13th part six jason lives they thought the nightmare was dead and buried they were wrong jason lives happy friday the 13th Friday the 13th, part six. Jason Lives, rated R. Starts Friday, August 1st at a theater near you. Jason Lives was directed by Tom McLaughlin, written by Tom McLaughlin. It was released August 1st, 1986, on a budget of $3 million. It only made $19.4 million. I say only because this was the lowest earner of the first six films. This was considered a flop by Paramount Pictures. 
um, and was um, kind of derided when it originally came out by because it was uh, it was seen as being too silly. This is the triumphal return of Tony Goldwyn, last heard in Tarzan as Disney's Tarzan. Jason here is played by C.J. Graham. I'm going to go on the record. This is going to be controversial. I think he's the superior Jason to Kane Hodder. Ooh, ooh. He's very good in this one. He is I, absolutely a physical, intimidating presence. I love this Jason. The physical performance, like we talked about before, um, I think there was the stunt guy, White. Uh, uh, Ted White, yep. Ted White, yeah. We are like, okay, he seemed to be the first guy to be like, this guy, this guy has to have a personality. <laughs> he can't just be a mongoloid mountain man, right? He yep. can't just have a weird eye and that's delight. it. Yeah, he shits, he shits in a toilet that does not go anywhere. I always <laughs> found that to be very strange. Like, is, does his shack have indoor plumbing? I don't think it does. Um, you know, like, he was the first one to be more than a Yeti, more than a Sasquatch, more than mm-hmm. the Yeti. He was the first to actually sort of, there's a malevolence to him and the way that he moves and the way that he almost sets traps and stuff. But then we get to full-on, full-blown zombie Jason. And we had this conversation towards the end of part one, but we didn't get fully into it. Let's start from the rip before we dive into the movie. When you think of Jason Voorhees, yes, you think of the mask, you got that part three. To you, is the image that is conjured in your head some variation of zombie Jason or still living hillbilly mountain Jason? It's absolutely Jason with a bag on his head running. No, it is called <laughs> zombie Jason. <laughs> I yes. think I would argue, and I don't think it's much of an argument, but I would posit that I think anybody, including non-Friday the 13th fans, because this is such an iconic character of people of a certain generation, young people probably have no idea who the fuck he is, and that makes me sad inside. <laughs> um. People of a certain generation above, I think the definitive Jason in people's minds is zombie Jason. Yep. And this is bizarre to me because like we talked about, it isn't until the sixth installment Mm -hmm. of an incredibly profitable franchise that this character fully comes together, even though he's fully falling apart. Can't argue. I think it's, uh, this is the film which finally works out the formula. I mean, we'll get to what happens with that formula through subsequent efforts. But, <laughs> and and yet, I think the greatest tragedy is, as you're saying, that this is the least profitable one of all. Yeah, which, uh, uh, well, up to this point. Yeah, it's yeah. astounding to me. And this film looks so much. I don't know if we're crossing into the film because we haven't given our summary yet. Are we? Are we doing that? Yeah, let's start with their summaries. Let's let's start with the synopsis. So we'll start with our synopsis first, then we'll dive into it. Jason Voorhees returns as the living dead to face off against his mortal enemy. You can't keep a good mass murderer down as Tommy Jarvis resumes his battle with a resurrected Jason and takes his rightful place as the hero of this series. Let's start with where let's start with how this movie looks, Paul. Looks great. For three million dollars. This film looks amazing. This film looks fantastic. And has aged the best out of any of these movies visually. Yep. No arguments at all. I I, I actually... It it, glossy. Like we, <laughs> yeah. When it <laughs> fires up, you're like, this is the first, maybe first real movie <laughs> in this entire franchise. It is it's an actual film. 
can we just say that that this is the only maybe real actual movie that has characters, backstories, storylines, personalities, distinct characters? Um, uh, like I was an advocate for part two because I think the cinematography is really good, and I think the direction is very good. But still, it 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 still has that look of kind of a slightly above ground ground grindhouse sort of movie and that's not to degrade it I, I like the way it looks i like the way it's directed this one it, just a few years later it it has all the production value of any mainstream gothic horror movie um i i think the visuals here are incredible i i really i think the jason design is is great i think the cinematography is great i think it's got that 80s wet street neon dark and smoky sheen to it like you said it's glossy it just looks like a legit movie i mean stunning is too strong a word but i was really surprised as to to roll this one out and if you want any better example of how much better a film this is than the last one we covered last week a new beginning both start with this sequence in a graveyard where jason comes back to life one is a dream in Corey feldman's mind and the other is this is really happening and we're resetting up the whole franchise to go forward but the difference between these two things is, pun intended, in a sense, night and day. Like, yes, one is so much better filmed and it's legitimately scary. And the other one is comical and really laughable. And so I'm like, hey, we've set ourselves up here. Here we go. There's a great first kill. Paul Tommy Jarvis is racist, does the thing you would do. He runs straight to the police or the sheriff to tell them what's going on. And, of course, isn't believed. So, okay, or immediately we're setting things up here uh, in a way which is both interesting engaging yeah you got to buy into the fact that lightning striking a corpse which has been in the ground for well apparently less than 13 years um can come back to life but that's all right this is, this film is so serious is so silly by he you're either on board with that or you're not and you're not watching a film like this if you're not well mclaughlin who wrote and directed this said that he really wanted to make it a a gothic horror movie mixed with the old universal horror films so he wanted to do basically Frankenstein, right? Where a bolt of lightning brings this, this reanimates this corpse because you here we have a problem. Okay. The problem is they killed Jason without any ambiguity. He's dead. Mm-hmm. The next movie, they're like, not only is he dead, we turned him to ash. We burned him. We incinerated him. He is nothing but ash. We scatter the ashes. There is no corpse. He is gone, right? Because they were putting a pin in Jason and we're going to not make any more of these movies. And then the movie made a bunch of money and they're like, well, shit. Okay, well, Tommy Jarvis will be the new Jason. And then that didn't really pan out because they, Thank God. again, they, they, they were half pregnant and they were like, well, it's kind of Tommy, but maybe it's Tommy, but it's not Tommy. But it's this other guy who we don't give a fuck about. But then he's dead too. So now Tommy will be the killer. And everybody was like, boo this stinks we want jason back and so they're like well fuck how do we bring him back well first of all you can't say that he was cremated (laughs) you have to say well we thought he was cremated but they lied they just buried his body Mm -hmm. well then you still have the problem of he's dead dead because if he wasn't where's he been all this time and you're like well shit so i love the fact that they just are like we're gonna rotoscope some fucking lightning richard edlin style out of the sky and bring him back like Frankenstein. And it's a really cool scene. It's got a great mix of um, 
vi- the visual gags in this movie are on a completely different tier. Um, and that's what makes this such a, like a smartly directed and written film. You know, you get the illusions of, it's like kind of punny, but not too punny. It's like, oh, Tommy, I'm not sure. Or Horseshack, you know, I'm not sure my heart can take much more of this. And then, of course, he's going <laughs> to get his heart punched out, yep. which was heavily edited. Um, I love the fact that um, basically Tommy Jarvis has escaped the insane asylum and, and another inmate has come with him. And he's like, I got to make sure he's actually dead. I found the grave. I got to make sure he's actually dead. And I got to send him to hell. The twist of this is, I don't know if you've ever thought through these implications. When they uh, dig him up out of the cemetery and open his coffin, Jason Voorhees is dead, dead, Paul. Yep. He's not pretending to be dead. He's not supernaturally somehow still. He is dead, dead. Tommy Jarvis accidentally reanimates him. Which means everybody who dies in this yes. movie and every <laughs> and other sequel, their blood is on the hands of Tommy Jarvis. Because had he done nothing, Jason just would have remained a rotted corpse in the grave. I uh, 100% agree. That's right. I have. I did think about that. Did have a bit of a giggle to myself. I just left it alone, Tommy. Then everyone would have been fine. Everybody would have been would've, fine. Would've, Tony Goldwyn would have got to wherever the hell the campgrounds where he was going. Yeah, that's with, right. With his yeah, lovely girlfriend, and you know. Would have gone, might not have gone to the acting career that he would have had. <laughs> yes. And Tommy, uh, Tom McLaughlin, that's his wife in real life. She plays oh. uh, uh, Tony Goldwyn's uh, uh, love interest, I guess, who's in the VW bug with him. This movie is got a lot of first. It's the first to interject um, real, real Hollywood level direction. It is the first to almost satirize itself in the slasher genre in general, but in a very savvy way. It is the first to have actual characters in it. It is also the first to have actual fucking kids at a summer camp. <laughs> this, we are six films in. This is the only time at Camp Crystal Lake we have seen children at the camp. Are they not children in the first one? No. Because no, the okay. camp's not open yet. Uh, okay, there you go. Yep. And the second one's the training and the third. Yep. Okay. Yes. This is the first time there are actual children at this camp. Yep. All right. Makes sense. I'll buy it. <laughs> but again, Paul, we're six movies. In. <laughs> it took them six movies to get a bus full of kids at the camp. And the introduction of those ass. kids <laughs> is so fucking ingenious because our girl is giving Megan is giving the same spiel that we get in every single one of these movies that irritated you. And every single one of these movies, she's given a recap of the whole saga. And, but it's with a nice twist. She's like, I can only think of one thing scarier than Jason. They're like, what's that? And she points. And then the bus full of kids yeah. <laughs> comes up and they come roaring off the bus. And there's just, there's so much great cutaway gags, great humor, there's the the of course he's not quite a harbinger but he's the 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 undertaker or the graveyard attendant who's you know one of the best lines in the movie is why did they have to go and dig up jason <laughs> 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 which is obviously a commentary and is obviously sort of the public sentiment of of especially like film critics of like oh my god they went and they fucking dug up yes, this jason yes. character to do another one of these movies and then he goes 
he looks, breaks the fourth wall, looks straight at the camera and goes, some people just have a sixth sense of entertainment or something. (laughs) Correct. And and he just stares at the theater full of teenagers watching the movie. Um, Even the beginning when it opens up and you have the, it's a dark and stormy night and he's reanimated and he comes out of the grave and he looks incredible and he finds the mask because Tommy brought him his fucking mask like an idiot with him. And he yep. puts the mask back on and he grabs the tools that Tommy brought, which he's going to use to murder everybody in the rest of this movie. And he punches Horshek's uh, heart out. And then Tommy's going to burn him with gasoline. And just as he's about to light the match, it starts pouring right. down rain. And Jason yeah. just, Jason just looks at the matches and looks at him. And it's just, it is incredible. And then, when we finally he's got the full mask back on and he does the turnaround or whatever, we go into a full James Bond spoof. Yep. <laughs> and it, that tells you everything you need to know, which is we're not going to skimp on the gore. Jason is going to be scary, but there's going to be characters. There's going to be character development. And we know that this is a stupid idea for a movie. Let's but since we're all it. here, let's make the fucking best of it. And they did. They they took what should have been on paper the most craven, money hungry cash in movie of all time. The the result of a bait and switch tactic of killing off Jason, which failed miserably in a studio, falling back on their heels, desperately trying to get the dollars and cents back up. And Tom McLaughlin and crew and cast were like they got a great group of people together and they made arguably, I don't want to bear the lead the best or one of the best in the entire franchise. And I would argue one of the best slashers of the 1980s. I would say it's inarguable that it's one of the best in the series. And I, it's probably more debatable to say one of the best slashers, but I'm right there with you. This, this movie is a lot of fun. It knows exactly what it is. And I mean, even down to the kids, if we skip to the end of the film where they're sort of making yes. commentary on, on what's going on. So it's not just enough to have the kids there. Cause of course we've never put kids in mortal danger the way that they do in this. Film. Yes. So we've got to lighten it up by having, you know, this sort of meta commentary on, so what were you going to be when you grew up? The one kid's reading a book of uh, existential French philosophy called No Exit. You get the, you know, the the grave digger again. What do you think I am? Some kind of a fart head and a hard cut to the kids. Yeah! All of these great (laughs) smash cuts, these great smash gags. Oh, you led me astray again. And he's like, drink out of the bottle. He's like, oh, Kathleen, you're going to be the death of me. And he throws the bottle throws back. It, and hits Jason. Hits Jason. There's no break. He turns around. Jason stabs him in the throat with it. You got Sheriff Garris, who's obviously named after Mick Garris. Um, you've got Carpenter Road. You have the town of Carpenter, or Cunningham Road, rather, and the town of Carpenter. You've got Karloff's General Store, which, again, ties into the Frankenstein, Universal mm-hmm. Movie illusions of Jason's now basically Frankenstein. Um, I don't know. I just, I fucking love it, man. I, um, we, we have a little bit, I mean, it's just the vaguest of backstory where, I mean, if we really drill down on it, Paul, it doesn't make any sense because Jason is dead. Tommy Jarvis <laughs> really? has on. no reason. Tommy Jarvis has no reason to believe that he's not dead, right? Yep. Other than his own paranoia and his memories. Yeah, his memories in which he is Corey Feldman. (laughs) 
<laughs> he remembers himself as Corey Feldman, even though now he's Tom Matthews. That's fine. He had a glow up. Um, and he's like, he's he's got these books on the occult, and we'll get back to the books on the occult. I know, I get it. I, we, <laughs> we know, we'll get there. Um, and he's like, oh, well, Jason has to, for, he's not really dead, because he has to be returned to his first resting place for his soul to be released and him to go to hell. I think Tommy is desperately wrong because it seemed to me that he had not gotten up in many years at that grave. And I think Jason was already in hell. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You can't argue with that. I think it's, it's kind of ironic, but also it's fitting for his character. Cause you can given the events of the second one as well, which I guess we yes. have to take as Canon, the second one being his second film. Yeah. He's so traumatized and so caught up in all of this stuff. I mean, he's improved from where we're left leaving at the end of a new beginning, but, he still can't let it go. He needs 100% absolute proof that Jason is gone. And as you say, his soul is, is cursed to, to be tormented in hell forever for what he's done. I kind of buy into that. I don't think that's a huge stretch at all to think that someone would do something as dumb as dig up a corpse to make sure it's dead given his mental state. So yeah, let's hash this out ball. Okay. We're to believe that Jason did not drown the lake because Jason was not a zombie in part two or part three or part four. He was alive. So when he says, I have to take him back to his original resting place where he died, he never Mm. died. Good point. Then he's struck by lightning and he's reanimated and comes back from hell as a zombie and then he's like, okay, well, I'm, this occult book says I got to whatever. So I'm going to put a millstone around his neck and a chain and throw him in the lake and he'll be dead down there. But the movie ends with him very clearly alive in the lake. Mm-hmm. Just waiting I don't think it's back. so much of, I don't think it's so much as a gaffe as I think that the Tom McLaughlin here is smart enough to know, well, he wasn't fucking dead and he wasn't dead in the first place he died if anywhere he died in tommy jarvis's house that's where he, he should be buried because that's when the fucking machete went through his head true okay you're saying this was so deliberate. I think, like no tommy tommy just yes. got it wrong um, i think our protagonist has it is it both right that yes jason's back but he's the one that brought him back and i think his obsession brought him back and i think the movie makes no bones about it he is not dead in that lake he is alive by the end of this movie I think the movie knows that this kid is so obsessed. He's got it all wrong. All the facts are wrong in this movie. Yeah, okay. Yep. Because I think the McLaughlin knows they're going to make a part seven. They're going to make a part eight. And they're going to make a part nine. So ironically, in in a really favorable twist, rather than making a movie all about how to resurrect Jason, that's what happens in our cold open. The rest of the movie is about how to try to defeat him knowing he's not going to be defeated. So the movie is really about a character being wrong about how to defeat Jason. Does that make sense? It does. That's make perfect sense. I and think he's is- thinking ahead and going, I'm not going to make a movie where we, we kill off the bad guy again, just for him to show up again. Instead, I'm going to make a movie where the character is thinking he's going to end Jason, but actually is responsible for bringing him back. Yep. I buy it. I buy it all. I think you've thought it through perfectly, especially if, he saw the future and knew there was going to be more because this is the one that sets up then that more so that the other films really play with later on to, to obviously worse effect in just about every case. He's unstoppable. <laughs> he he yes. cannot be killed. 
There's no way to kill him at all Thanks. unless <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Thank, no, he cannot be killed. Thanks to Tommy Jarvis, who had already successfully killed him. Killed him. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Poor did Tommy. it. He, he successfully killed him and then successfully made him indestructible years after the fact, resurrecting him. <laughs> Poor Tommy. We've really, uh, yeah. really undone his life's work here, haven't we? Yes. I think the, the peak of this movie, too, is the idea of the rivalry between this is the third time in some iteration that the, either the idea, the specter, or the actual person, both living, both as a living person, as a psychotic delusion, and as a resurrected zombie, Tommy Jarvis has faced Jason, in effect, three times. And I, I got to thinking about this, and I don't know if this was true in your neck of the woods as much as it was in mine, but I think my entire youth was spent in rivalries. And that isn't really a concept anymore outside of sports. Like there, there aren't really brand rivalries. There aren't movie franchise rivalries so much anymore. There aren't like really even like hardcore sports figures rivalries. Like you had like the Bulls and the Pistons or the Bulls mm -hmm. and, and the Celtics or the Lakers and the Celtics. Like you don't really quite have that as much as you used to. For instance, in this, in this, you know, my youth, you had the Friday the 13th franchise versus the Elm Street franchise. And there were schisms within the fandom of you were a Freddy guy or gal, or you were a Jason guy or gal. You had Nike versus Reebok. You had McDonald's versus Burger King. You had Nintendo versus Sega. You had WWF versus WCW. You had Coke versus Pepsi. You had Hershey mm -hmm. syrup versus Nesquik. And you had all of this sort of like, it was just a part of the zeitgeist and it was a part of the culture. Pick and a I side. Think when you, yeah. And it's, that's sort of subsided. But when you look at it, at this point from the franchise forward, you can actually see the Friday series and the Nightmare series sort of jockeying for ideas and position. In 84, mm. we, we introduced to the supernatural slasher, really kind of for the first time in the mainstream in Freddy Krueger. We covered that last spooky season. Find that in the archives, horror fans and movie film podcast fans. This time around... Um, I think Nightmare steals a bit of an aspect of this, which is it's the return, the idea of the survivor has to return to face the killer and the killer has to be returned to his resting place. This comes out in 86 right. and 1987. Like, we get Dream Warriors. So when was Dream Warriors? A year later. Okay. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I, <laughs> I think. We're now in this like nuclear standoff, this arms race between these two franchises where they're they're you know, they're going to each other's movies and going, Oh yeah, okay, well that, we're gonna do this and now we're gonna do this because they're coming out pretty much every every year, every other year at this point. Yeah, very good point. Had not made that link between uh, Dream Warriors and this film at all. So uh, my hat is off to you. What's well, not? My hat's on, but figuratively <laughs> my hat is off to you. You go into these films to watch gnarly kills, to watch inventive, yes. creative ways for people to be offed. And more often than not, with the cuts that are available through the streaming services, at least here in Australia, they're not the full-fledged films. They're clearly and have been yes. heavily edited. And I think the, the version of this I watched was also edited because there's a couple of times here I'm like, that looked like it was building so well and it seems to have jump-cupped away too fast. So yes. At the end of the day, when I reveal my score, it's taken a hit for that because I 
can't remember whether or not there is a better version of this film out there that just wasn't someone made the executive decision to edit down. Not, you know, the MPAA or the MPAA, yes. but like, oh, no, we can't have that version on here. Not a director's cut, nothing special. Just is there a better version of this film out there that has maybe it's only 45, 60 extra seconds that I think would make all the difference and elevate this one even higher than it, than it is for me? Because retrospectively, in my brain, this was way gorier yeah. than I remember yeah. than when I was watching it. Really? That's all we got in that one? So... Yeah, that's my big complaint about the film because everything else is fun. Oh, and the fact that Megan, or Megan as, as you Americans call it, uh, seems to instantly fall for this guy who her dad, the sheriff, is very well played, by the way. I thought his uh, um, David Kagan plays him, sort of see him in, in, as a character actor in a bunch of things over the years. He's yeah. really, he really elevates the acting stakes in this film. You really believe yes. he is the father who's really concerned about his daughter and worried about his town, who, by the way, interesting premise that we, we haven't touched on, We've renamed the town, and in well, apparently less than six years, we managed to convince all our kids that Jason was just a legend. I'm like, the fuck? How do you not well, all know this great, crazy murderer which ran around here less than six years ago? And well, Nightmare no on Elm Street would have, Nightmare on Elm Street would eventually do that. Yes, but I've, it's, that's a stupid plot point. Yes, as is the fact that she throws in with Tommy so fast and is prepared to put herself at, at high risk, not against Jason, because her dad's saying this guy is is probably a mass murderer. And she's like, yeah, yes, I'm going to come rescue you. No worries. Uh, you know, it doesn't. That doesn't bother me because I think that the actress who's playing Megan is really good. I love. I really like the character of Megan, and it's one of those. It's a. It's something that I come to accept. If it's nothing else, but teen rebellion she's sort of coming into her own of course she's going to do the opposite of what her authoritarian dad is telling her to do it's not that her dad's not wrong not right he is right in the perspective he's coming from it's just that she is a teenage girl in a small town where nothing ever happens called forest Glen. yeah um i also here's the thing you got to remember yes there's all these mass murderers and so, mass murders and so forth and so on um let's say whatever i have so lost the fucking timeline let's say six years have gone by right there's been no jason sightings whatsoever let's say let's argue that these people are 16 i guess they would have been eight nine ten somewhere around that you know surely they're 18 maybe, or maybe so, these, these 10 or 12 days. yeah 10 or 12 i guess yep when all this shit was going down there is no internet. This is a small town in the m- middle of the United States. And Jason's kills have primarily been around the actual camp. So the idea is, and one of the films even shows it, you know, they, they cross over the fence line. Uh, yeah. Sandra, Sandra does. And that's when he's like, Oh, you're fucking dead. So, so I think if you're in the greater um, crystal Lake area and not actually in the fucking woods around the camp, You've probably never seen the guy. You've never run into him. He's locked. Oh, sure. Monster. You wouldn't have seen him, but it would be yeah. the kind of thing which every year gets dragged out by the media and is all over the place. It's been this many years since the great tragedy, which has now claimed 48,000, whatever it is, 57 <laughs> right, lives right, 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 right. thus far. And, you know, the whole generation of this town, which has been lost, is now being, you know, all that kind of, that would be everywhere. Paul, so, we live in a society where people believe the earth is flat. <laughs> and that COVID is a hoax. Yeah, that is true. It's not that hard to convince rural yokels in America that things aren't real. 
Well, yeah, okay. Can't argue with that. All right, let's move on. The, uh, we haven't talked about favorite kill. What about favorite the kill? The liberals, the liberals, the radical left killed all those teenagers. It was all that <laughs> sexual promiscuity and left-handed devil's lettuce cigarettes. The, the, what's really interesting was the movie was supposed to have ended with an explanation as to why Jason wasn't cremated. And the oh. idea was that Jason's father, who was Elias Voorhees, would appear. And at the very end, and would ha- basically he had paid somebody to not cremate him, but to bury him in, in a unmarked grave, more or less. And um, as a way, because he knew that Jason was evil or this, that, whatever. And the idea was that Elias Voorhees was going to be this ongoing character, potentially setting up for the sequels. I don't know if it was ever shot or cast, but it was um, obviously doesn't make the final cut of the movie. Speaking of cut of the movie, you did talk about the violence and gore from this point forward, Paul, the, the addition you're seeing on streaming uh, is more than likely what was actually released in theaters, because this is another one of those ones that was absolutely brutalized by the MPAA. Uh, They all will be from this point forward. Oh Um, God, do they ever. You're right. Did you, I'm just reading something here which I had no idea of. Apparently, this film is not is considered a direct sequel to the final chapter, and they've retconned a new beginning. So this Tommy is not the same Tommy. That's my understanding of it. Yes, but here's the thing: it works either way. I don't think they, they don't go out of their way to say, "Oh, well, Roy never existed. That was in my head the whole time." Like I don't I, like. You know, th- those events never happen. It's just, you could just go basically straight from, because we don't get really a flashback to five. You could go straight from four to six and be like, ah, fuck, five never happened. Or it could be yeah. like four or five and six happened. So it's it's really up to a fan's discretion, I think. Fair um, enough. You didn't answer my question, though. Favorite kill? Yeah. Uh, it's the RV kill. Yeah. The face into the wall. The face into the wall and then him, him, it, we're getting into Freddy territory where the deaths say, are this a, little, is a bit like Freddy little punny. Yep. Yeah, they're a little punny because the guy loves his music and he's always got his headphones on. And so he gets a fucking screwdriver in the ear. Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. It's a little punny, but okay. But also, it's the shot of then Jason climbing out of a fiery wreckage on top that of a That was pretty amazing for a it, yes. film like this. Standing in the fucking smoke. Yep. Yeah, and I was like, okay, all right, this is great. Um, this is great. Yeah, this is great. Is this, Paul, the best Jason? Look, pretty hard to argue. I I hear where you're coming from. I think maybe No, yeah. most people think Kane Hodder is the better Jason, but is CJ <sighs> Graham, is he the best Jason? And is this the best Jason admit, design? The only saving grace of a later film in this series is the Jason design in it. So, which kind of takes what's here and, and exaggerates it a little bit more. So I know, yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I'd say it's top two, top two for me. I'm going to go out. I'm just going to say it. I think that uh, he's better than Kane Hodder. And I like this design of all of them the best. Okay, um, fair enough. Can't I, you. I, this, is, this to me, hands down, is the best Jason we've ever had on film. Is Megan, even though Tommy Jarvis, as you said in part one, is ostensibly our final girl, is Megan the best final girl of the series? Again, with a big asterisk next to it that is shaped like an adult-sized Tommy who's not 19 and definitely 26. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, she's better than Trish, that's for sure. <laughs> she's better than all of them, um, and there's certainly no one after her that comes close either. No. <laughs> okay. Um, if you had to give this a score out of 10, what would you give it, and where does it rank for you? For this part two, we'll rank the entire series at the end of this episode. Well, we are. But just out of the, out of the last six. Just out of the last six. Yeah. yeah. By a bullet, by a fairly significant margin, this is the best of yes. the six films. So we are starting early and it's all downhill from here, ladies and gentlemen. This is the best yes. of the week. Uh, it will be my recommendation for the vault the or to go into the vault or the nominations for. Uh, I'm yes. giving this a 7.2 out of 10. 7.2 out of 10. I don't blame you, though, because here's the thing. The truncated kills are very jarring, and they yes, actually kind of what break the flow of the movie. The flow, the movie flows so well. It's so well made. And you can tell that the kill gags were so expertly executed that it's almost criminal that they have been cut and not restored. It's, it's, it's really bad. Um, and that's not the fault of the filmmaker. So. All right, moving on, moving on, moving on. What about you? What about you? What about you? What are you giving it? I already gave mine. Did you? Did I, what was I, I was looking at? What did you say? My score is an 8.0 out Wait. of 10, and it is the best of the last six of the Friday series. Everybody knows it. But now it's time for us to move on. We're moving on to Friday the 13th, part seven, The New Blood, <laughs> which was released in 1988 and currently has a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. Friday, May 13th. It's Jason versus Tina. Don't go in there! The match made in hell. There goes the neighborhood. Friday the 13th, part 7. The New Blood, rated R. Starts Friday, May 13th at a theater near you. This film was directed by John Carroll. Well, all the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, Hal. Sorry. It's written by Manuel... You sure? Uh, you uh, Bexler. Uh, Let me do this again. It was, it was written by uh, Manuel Fidello and Daryl... Uh, I can't... This is my... I can't read my own handwriting here, Paul. Oh, it's live, Hal. Sorry. Daryl Henney. It was released May 13th, 1988, on a budget of $2.8 million. It made $19.1 million. This is the first appearance of Kane Hodder as Jason. Psychic teen weekend at Bernie's, <laughs> the waterlogged body of Crystal Lake's favorite son. Girl with psychic powers accidentally awakens Jason. Let me do this again. Jason, who has taken the opportunity to improve himself by now engaging in bloodless mass murdering. Is this the best poster of the series? Mm, I'd have to look at all the other ones. The half hockey mask, half girl's face with the glowy and the knife and the psychic abilities. And looks all right. It might be one of the, it might be, if it's not the best poster, I think it might be the second best poster only after Jason takes Manhattan. We got to get in the history of this, Paul. Okay. Please do tell me how this all came about. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is one of the first Friday the 13th films that was produced by a lady. I'm just going to simply quote the Lady Wan of what she says about women and feminism. The Lady Wan says, feminism means women can be bad at things too. (laughs) This is the first of this in a series that was produced by a woman. Her name was Barbara Sachs. And her entire goal for this film was to make a movie that would be capable of being nominated for an Academy Award. 
What? She approached or wanted to have Federico Fellini direct part seven of Friday the 13th. So there would have been a Fellini Friday the 13th. Get fucked. She went to all of the top tier directors in Hollywood and in Europe. They all declined to make the movie for very, very obvious reasons. <laughs> Paul, this movie is not only not worthy of an Academy Award, it's not even worthy of a blockbuster movie award. Now, her follow-up was, if we can't do an Academy Award-winning level film with Fellini, of all people, then we're going to do a Jason versus Freddy crossover movie. But okay. Paramount and New Line could not come to terms on the movie, the rights, what character would get the most screen time, who would win. <laughs> and contractually, really yeah, contractually, the entire thing fell apart. And of course, it would eventually be made. Well, I work out. I understand then what she does next. Let's get Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's hadn't been made yet, Paul. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so... Um, by this point, Nightmare 2 has come out in 1985. It makes $30 million. Nightmare 3 comes out in 87 the year before, makes $44 million, as opposed to this movie, which only makes $19 million. Team. And the yep. movie before it, which didn't make much more than that. By this point, Friday the 13th has fallen heavily into second place at the box office. Yep. There was no incentive for New Line Cinema to do anything, to really work with Paramount, to try to prop up their what was perceived as a flagging, if not failing, franchise. Now, when they can't figure out the Academy Award uh, Best Picture nominee, and it's not a joke, that's what they really wanted to do. They wanted to make an art house Friday the 13th film, basically. When they couldn't do that, when they couldn't do Freddy versus Jason, which, I mean, if those are your top two ideas, we either want to make a, have Federico <laughs> Fellini make a Friday series. If we can't do that, we'll just do Wolfman meets the mummy like 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 those are two dialectical extremes paul the next one was one of the wow. writers pitched what if jason faced carrie what and they liked the idea of <laughs> okay, oh because of it's a strong female protagonist and now that jason's supernatural we've never seen we because needed. at this point freddy krueger had never faced a super another being of supernatural ability so if you can't face freddy right if Jason can't face Freddy and you're trying to beat the nightmare series and Freddy had never faced a supernatural opponent then you have to have two supernatural opponents. And what if it was Carrie? Well, we don't have the rights to Carrie, and she's dead. So instead they come up with this character <laughs> who is essentially Carrie, a very shithouse generic Kirkland's best Carrie. And we get this movie that makes no fucking sense. And it's right. maybe one of the most annoying movies in the entire franchise. I will Paul, say, tell me everything you want to say about this movie before we move the fuck along. I will say that I think that concept alone, let's make Jason's ad. No one can match him physically. Yes. There's just, there's no way. There's no, anyone who's tried yeah. dies. You get within range of Jason's arms, you're finished. So yes. a couple of exceptions aside, Tommy Jarvis. Being, well, and being also that. Paul, at this point, he's fucking teleporting. So you didn't even have to well, get in distance of his arms because he'll just fucking appear in front of you. <laughs> I like the way that's gradually increased the further this yeah, series is going yeah, on. Yeah, we'll get to he the can, next one be, where it's like you, the laws of be. physics no longer apply. No longer apply. Get, somehow this rotting zombie gets more muscular and huskier the more the series goes on <laughs> and develops celebration powers. 
At a certain yeah, point, Paul, he's only going to be bones. A, a set, yet, he's, he's a waterlogged corpse, and yet yep. he's fucking yoked. It's bizarre. And obviously, this is where Kane Hodder makes his debut. And yes. this is this is the Jason that I think looks amazing with kind of the fish having eaten out parts of his side. His yes. ribs are exposed. So this the is spine in with, the back. Yeah. yeah, I think this is a really great looking Jason, and Ark will be my favorite, which elevates the film slightly. As does the concept of all right, well, let's put this girl up who's got these psychic powers and can defeat Jason or at least fight him from afar. It's just that everything else about this film fucking sucks. It's not everything else. It's the girl that they got to be the psychic girl. Terrible. Is a horrific actress. And this character is written so annoying that everybody is so unsympathetic. The only person whose side I'm on in this movie is Jason. (laughs) Not the uh, really bitchy next girl who likes the guy that inexplicably likes her. (laughs) Oh, God, fuck. Well, yeah, we'll get to our tropes. I got to say something positive. I got to say something positive. Because there's only one thing I can say positive about this movie other than the Jason design. And, and I do think Kate Hodder is a good Jason. He's just not my favorite Jason. Um, this is my favorite opening recap of the entire series. <laughs> uh, the shit voiceover summarizing Jason's story. It's not. A, I, I, I don't it. think it's a shit voiceover. I think it's a great voiceover. Yeah, it didn't do it for me. I knew I was in trouble. And then when I saw Han- Henry Manfredini had also shared the music rights to someone, I'm like, oh, that's not a good sign either. No, no. This no, one's the I, only, no, this one no, and the, the next one, a rated M, not even R here in Australia. M is like for mature audiences 15 and over. Yes, you can watch it right. whenever you want to. I'm like, what the yeah. fuck? What is going on? Well, it's still rated R in the United States, but it, it re- honestly, if it were put out today, it'd be a PG-13 horror movie. Yeah. It There's is so little blood. It's bloodless. Yeah. It's completely You're right, though. Her performance is horrendously bad. Uh, I kind of liked Bernie. His, like, he, he's, he can actually act a bit. Uh, what's his name? Yes. Terry, Terry Kisser. And I didn't understand what his whole motivation was to bring her what's, here. I mean, What's to, the end game? To, I think his end game is he wants her powers to blossom and so he can be the first person to prove the, the existence of telekinetic and powers. But it's very badly described and set up. And, and what's he hope to get when the mum realizes what's going on as if they're going to let him continue working with her. It's just the dumbest thing ever. Well, he, he's just, he said he's going to have her institutionalized, which actually Paul in the United States, you didn't need family's approval to do in the late eighties. Really? No. Yeah. He really could. That was like, he's like, I don't, right. she's like, I'll stop you. I'll stop. He's like, you can't stop me. I'm going to get her committed. He could have for real. Uh, it wouldn't be, be until the very late 80s that those laws were repealed. Yeah, he absolutely, as her right, presiding doctor, and I guess he could have given her a works. diagnosis and put her in a fucking institution, Hellraiser 2 style, and just experimented on her against the family's early wishes. 90s. And, wow. Although okay. this is right. supposed to be taking place in the mid-90s. So, so, oh, correct. Uh, those yes. laws would have changed. <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. We do get the tropes. We get our bland good guy in this movie. That's Nick. Ugh. We get the bitchy slut. So we get the combo deal here. That's Melissa who is also fucking atrocious. We yep. get the geeky weirdo who is Eddie. Uh, we Melissa get hits the, on just to make Nick jealous. Yes. Uh, who's basically a dead fuck, but they can't say <laughs> that because they already did that. Um, we, and we get an actual, we get an extra nerd. We get an extra helping of nerd in this movie because we get the geeky chick whose entire character development is just taking her fucking glasses off. Um, <laughs> That's right. And putting makeup on. Yes. 
The movie. And walking around the, the forest in high heels. Circa yes, yes. Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. Yeah. <laughs> the movie is the one thing that is stupid about the whole doctor subplot is the doctor has seen her move objects around the room via the power of uh, fishing line. Uh, which you can clearly see <laughs> and is like, Oh my God, she has telekinesis. But when she purports to have visions, he's like, he doesn't believe her. He's like, no, that's just your trauma speak. It's like, bitch, this woman has pyrokinesis, telekinesis, <laughs> telepathy. Why would she not have telepathy? Why would mm-hmm. she not be able to prognosticate or see visions of events concurrently as they're happening? Why? Why do you draw the line? And the character even asks, like, you believe I could do all this other stuff. You've seen what I could do. Why don't want you believe me about the visions? And it's like, there's no reason why he wouldn't believe that she's having visions. There's no reason whatsoever. And also, I agree. When, when, when he hides the evidence of, like, Jason killing that guy, how the fuck does he get that um, rod or whatever out of the wall and hide it? <laughs> And then the mom know. finds a bloodless version of it in his desk drawer. And that's yes, the clue. So like, oh, all of this stuff has been happening. But they all go outside at the same time. So when did he have time to hide it? Very good point. Uh, look, this film makes as much sense as about 60 minutes into it, one guy gets killed opening Christmas presents. I'm like, it's Christmas? Where oh, was, Paul, what, there, there's too many. Fuck, oh, it's, <laughs> they're there for a birthday. It's, uh, it's but, the cousin's birthday party. And the oh, he's opening the guy. other person's presents. Is that what he's doing? Yes, he's opening. I could have sworn the, the they were couple, under a Christmas tree. No, the couple that gets killed out of the woods where they're fighting. They're coming. He's yeah. like, this was a surprise party for you, you asshole. Blah, 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 blah. Now everything's ruined. And they get murdered. Um, the good guy is that guy's cousin. And he hates all yes, of his, his friends. And then the red shirt who's opening the gifts, he's opening the other guy's presents. Oh, okay. Birthday. I'm sorry. I apologize. I take that back, movie. You get a point one raise in my score out of that i think this is this is by far the worst dialogue of any of the friday the 13th movies up until this point it feels like an italian horror movie that was dubbed over into english it's pretty irredeemable honestly no look i agree i'm not giving it a good score don't get me wrong but it's the undead jason and how he looks at elevates this one slightly slightly for me if you took that out of it if he was a a, a weedy like like in the new beginning Jason, then this one would absolutely be the worst, I think, of the of the whole franchise, but it doesn't quite get there for me. Where does it rank of the second half of the franchise, the last six films? Or what score would you give it? What rank would you give it? What do you think the best kill is? And you already oh. said this is the best Jason. Give us the rundown. The I don't know if there is a good kill in this movie. I honestly don't think there is, because all of them are. Yes, are there, there's one. It's shit. the sleeping sleeping bag massacre. Yes, oh, it's been smashes. cut to shit. He yep. doesn't smash her eight or nine times like he did in the, the uncut version. But the idea of him picking up a woman in a fucking sleepy bay and just Does baseball bat her into a tree. <laughs> we get a better version of it later, which is almost a parody yes. of this. But still, I think that's the best kill. Uh, I'll concede there because I, I didn't like any kill in this film. That, that probably is the most memorable. You'll give me that. Okay. Okay. I'll make this deal with you. If you give me that, if you give me that the best kill is the sleeping bag, then yep. I will trade Jason lives design wise. I still think Graham is a better performer than, uh, even hold. long burn, super crazy long burn sequence. that goes on in, in this movie. 
Um, yes, that's very, very impressive. At one point, it was the longest continuous burn in film history because he was actually, ah, yep. there's no cut for the point where, oh, there's a fire, then cut, and then somebody comes in and sets him aflame. This was a revolutionary because the fire that they set on the set is actually what ignited him, which is not how it was traditionally done. And then he just burned and burned and burned and burned. Wow. Um, okay. Yes. So props to Kane Hodder for that. I will give you that this is the best Jason. I'll give you this is best Jason if you give me the sleeping bag is best kill. Done. Deal made. Despite that and hearing about this wonderful stunt, the best I can do is give it three out of ten, which makes it not quite as bad as in the beginning. But for this week, it is my fifth film of the week. There's one worse, according to me. <laughs> well, binge lords get out your binge notebook for the first time ever i've graded a movie lower than paul he gave it a three i give it a two i think this is bloodless tedious and obnoxious this is the one that got on my nerves not more than any of them but just about more than any of them And it's mostly because we said these movies live and die by the charisma of your principal cast and whether you give a shit and the kills any and the kills. I didn't give a shit about any of these people, these red shirts, and all the kills are I mean, this is the theatrical cut could could air on Good Friday in Australia in nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> um I for me it is a two out of ten. It's my number five as well. There is one Ooh. significantly worse than this. I think we're gonna diverge on what is the worst of this week and the worst of the franchise. But um, I just want to add, La Park Lincoln is the name of the terrible final girl in this film. Yes. Last year, somebody made Tina Shepard a, a fan film called Rose Blood, a Friday the 13th fan film, unofficially continuing the story of Tina Shepard played by La Park Lincoln now. She's not the only person to do that. They made, there was a, um, there's Blood in the Snow or something like that. I don't know if it was made by the same people, which was a follow-up of Jason Lives. And they got the deputy who's like the red dot and you bang. Yep. Didn't he die? They got him. uh, Did he die? I don't know. I don't think he dies. They got, they got somebody somewhere. One of these. Yeah. 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 They had him come back and they also got Tom Matthews to come back to play Tommy Jarvis one more time. And it was confronting Jason in the Camp Crystal Lake, but it's wintertime. Nice. And it's actually very well done for a fan film. It, I think they had a Kickstarter behind it or whatever. So I don't know if it's the same people behind that one, but because the rights have been tied up so long, the only thing that's kept this franchise alive is fan film. So some of them are actually pretty good. So I wouldn't write that one off instantly. I'd only, the only reason I write that one off, Paul, is because it's associated with this movie. Which is uh, absolute <laughs> dog shit. Yeah. And maybe yep. in the last 40 years, she's learned how to act. I highly doubt it. <laughs> All right. Moving on to, boy, one of the biggest cinematic fuck jobs in movie history. Talk about, I mean, as our, <laughs> fucking a guy in the ass without having the goddamn courtesy to give him a reach around. We're talking about <laughs> Friday the 13th, part eight. Jason takes Manhattan, which came out in 1989 and currently has 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's a storm at sea. You're all gonna die. And it's blowing terror to the Big Apple. Now, the only safe place to be. You're dead meat. Yo, man, it's cool. It's cool, man. It's cool. Is out of town. Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, Rated R. Now playing at theaters everywhere. This movie was directed and written by Rob Hedden. It was released July 28th, 1989, on a budget of between 5 and $5.8 million, the most expensive film in the franchise yet. And wow. a box office return of $14.3 million, making it officially Ooh. the poorest performer in the franchise's history. This is the also the triumphal return of Kelly Hugh, or who, uh, last seen in X2. <sighs> Okay, for this, <laughs> option number one was John Carroll Beaker wrote uh, a, a, essentially a movie that was like the return of Tina Shepard where it would be they'd have a rematch against each other. Zombie Jason versus Tina again. Speaking of your favorite actress of all time, option two, Lar Park Lincoln wrote her own screenplay. Oh, God. That uh, having read or having heard, I should say, what it was, it was essentially Dream Warriors, where she would be an adult counselor who would go back and find other kids who may have had psychic abilities, who had some tie to Jason and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then there was option three, which was <laughs> that all of the events of this were a dream um, because the guy who played Nick wrote, wrote this. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was gonna make the with his character as the killer yes it was all his so the 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 version his 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 part eight was gonna be all of part seven was his dream and it turned out he was the main character <laughs> the balls to that be like amazing. actually i've written a sequel to this movie and it turns right. out i was a side character but only in my own dream then I wake up from my dream, and now I'm the main character. <laughs> Unbelievable! The uh, the absolute narcissism and the the fucking absolutely tone deaf. That is one of the all time great Hollywood stories. <laughs> that is to me that is up there with Menachem Golem pitching a movie to Clyde from any which way but loose. <laughs> Paul, yeah. this guy wrote a sequel. Where it retconned and made himself. It was all my dream. And it <laughs> the wasn't other Jason. movie, it the was other me. movie, yeah, the other movie starring other people was all a dream, and it was me the whole time, and I'm the killer. <laughs> Gee, I can't imagine why Paramount didn't go with that one. Holy crap! <laughs> he went on to apparently star in Days of Our Lives for a whole bunch of years, so that's his big claim to fame. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> okay. So uh, this, this Rob Heaton guy, Heaton guy, he had a couple of different ideas. One was the idea that it was going to be Jason gets aboard a cruise ship and he's hiding up on the bowels of a cruise ship and different crews of people have to go into the darkness and face him. It was going to be essentially aliens on a cruise ship. Mm -hmm. His other idea, which is actually the only good idea so far, was somehow, some way, Jason Voorhees makes his way from New Jersey to New York, 
and is in Manhattan of all places and goes on a massacre through uh, Manhattan, sort of chasing down the last survivors of Camp Crystal Lake. There's a version of that movie, especially in the late 80s New York, Paul, where it would almost be what the Terminator was in Los Angeles. It would be Jason Voorhees as a Terminator-like figure chasing our protagonist, a a man, man and a woman chasing them through New York and killing anybody who gets in his way. And that movie could have fucking ruled. Well, yeah. <laughs> Grimy, filthy, late 80s Manhattan with the, the last survivors of Crystal Lake running for their lives, thinking they're safe because they're in the big city. And somehow this fucking guy is, is relentlessly, mercilessly stalking them and, and interacting with the denizens and the degenerates of late 80s New York before mob boss Giuliani came in and, and uh, committed all <laughs> kind of human rights violations to clean up the town so M&Ms could put up a gift shop. I think that that movie is fantastic. Even though this movie had an incredible budget for the Friday series, they cut the budget before it went to production, and they had to split the difference. And so instead of doing Jason Goes to Manhattan, they did Jason is aboard a quote-unquote cruise ship, which is a fucking steam, like, (laughs) it's a fucking tugboat. Jason on a tugboat pretending to be a cruise ship with all of about five high school graduates. And then he's in Vancouver, very clearly Vancouver. The entire, all of a sudden, Camp Crystal Lake is in Canada and has fucking mountains (laughs) all around it. Mountains! mountains and apparently whatever tributary goes into camp crystal lake connects you i guess it's the hudson river connects you to the atlantic fucking ocean and you can go to new york (laughs) this landlocked lake where kids went to camp apparently is fed by the hudson river (laughs) eat shit and apparently (laughs) the river is so deep you get a fucking giant steamship through the river into New York. Yep. And apparently all 11 kids that go to this, I guess it's a private school or a preparatory school or a boarding school. I don't know. All 11 graduates uh, uh, party their ass off on this fucking bleak ass, hideous, ugly, absolutely flavorless ship where you have some of the worst kills of the series, some of the worst kills of the franchise. And then what's not filmed in the back alleys of Vancouver or a set somewhere is we get all of maybe 10 minutes in actual Manhattan and the shot of Jason in fucking Times Square, late 80s Times Square with the Batman logo for the movie that was about to come out is so awesome. Wet, soupy, weird Jason who I guess walked and somehow kept up with his ship. Uh, yeah. No, uh, well, did he? Yeah. Because <laughs> well, they were rowing, right? So the ship. Yes. So we, like you said, we get both both films here. We get, you know, alien style. I don't understand how it's alien style. If they're on the, in the alien maybe style on the bowels of a ship. They're trapped in yes. there and being picked off one by one by Jason. In, in very silly, stupid kills mostly yes. uh once again this film has been neutered beyond belief and it's ridiculous 
today. Through his shenanigans, he manages to sink the ship, put it on fire, and it's going to sink the ship. Yeah. So the survivors get in a rowboat and row the rest of the way down whatever yeah. Hudson River or whatever it is and happen to stumble across New York. And then he emerges from the river simultaneously. Almost immediately after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What? So did he swim or did he walk the entire way? The, the bottom of the in the boat bottom, was... did he walk the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean? <laughs> How does he know which way to go? What is, what is this nearing <laughs> direction he has? And this is the film I think you were alluding to earlier in particular where he can just appear anywhere oh, at any point in time. Oh, when he kills Kelly who when he, when he kills her in the fucking disco ballroom and then literally yep. she just turns and he's there and she turns and he's there and it's like, and for, how does he even catch up with her? One. Two, how does he end up in front of her? I mean, it just doesn't, he just, yeah, he appears wherever he's needed to kill well, someone. What about when, what's his, on the streets of Vancouver, aka New York, and he's at one scene killing these two denizens of the night who are going to rape the main character, shoot her up with drugs and, and rape two her. Two heroin addicts, yes. Yeah, and then, uh, Two seconds later is standing in front of a car, which is for however far. I guess it's just this film makes no pretense of making any sense whatsoever. It doesn't want to, it doesn't care. And yet somehow this was the best idea that they had and they would five to five and a half million could make. It's it is this is Jurassic World Dominion levels of disappointing to me, to use yes. a recent film. Dinosaurs yes. have escaped into the world and are running yes. rampant. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, they're not. About eleven people have been killed. That's all that's happened over over the last couple of years since this happened. You've and got dinosaurs Jason. are not the focus. Locusts are no, the focus. Locusts are. You've got Jason, yeah. this undead killing machine. Yes. Who, yes. if you're an adult and you get within arm's reach of him, he wipes you out left, right, and center. But somehow in this film, he's so obsessed with Rennie and what's his name, Sean. He yes. ignores everybody else that he comes across, unless you happen to to try to bar his path. Even then he won't kill you. For the most part, he just like pushes you out of the way. Pushes yeah. you out of the way or throws you through a window because, of course, he does because yes, he hates glass. Yes, of course. And there's, yes. there's plenty of opportunities here to destroy a bit of glass. So, well done, Jason. There's your fetish ticked off this film as well. I It's bafflingly terrible. It is so disappointing. It's one hurt my heart. Like, Jason needs a holiday. So did I after getting to this point in the series. I was really questioning my life decisions. I don't have a good logical reason for why Jason Voorhees would find himself in Manhattan. That's the hardest part is getting him out of that camp and getting him to Manhattan. But if you could come up with a smart way to get him there again, especially late eighties, graffiti ridden punk, the streets over, like I'm talking about 1990s, teenage mutant Ninja turtles, New York, where it's all street punks and street toughs yep. and boom boxes and graffiti and fucking switchblades and, mohawks and crazy shit and drug addicts and heroin and there's like nods to all that like you said there's the, the heroin using uh rapists and whatnot but it's all of it takes place in in very obvious sets that are supposed to be back alleys it feels so small but the idea yep. of him just free roaming having free roam of manhattan the the scene of jason Voorhees, zombie jason on a subway should have been fucking awesome Especially this is not that far removed from when the guy shot a bunch of people on the subway in New York because it was so crime ridden. And, you know, the idea of, you know, Jason interacting with the dregs of late 80s society as, as New York is collapsing down around everybody. It was just it, visually it should have been interesting. You could have come up with amazing kills. Um, and instead, you're again, we're just locked in on. Rennie and her uncle Charles 
again, here we have Rennie, who is, she doesn't spend the back half of the movie drunk. She spends it high on the dragon of heroin, (laughs) dope sick, and is directly responsible because she tries to run over a heroin-induced hallucination of Jason and kills her aunt (laughs) or teacher or whatever the fuck in a fiery fireball. Jason had nothing to do with that. He wasn't even around at that point. And they don't even respond. Not, they don't even react. It's like the, no! the fact that Rennie, no, that Rennie killed this woman. It's it's strange. Uncle Charles, his entire idea is once the four survivors of the cruise ship make their way to fucking Manhattan, he's like, we need to split up and find the police. But they never pick a point or a place to reconvene <laughs> or to meet up. <laughs> and he's like. Okay, and then here's the other bit which makes zero sense. You've now let's go, let's go. So the uncle, she can't remember why she's so frightened of water. Turns out, said uncle shoves her in the middle of Crystal Lake. Yes, and basically leaves her to drown, thinking it's literally sink or swim. And but it's boy Jason who's down there and grabs onto her, and so now she has visions of child Jason throughout the film, which amount to absolutely fucking nothing well how, so, do, we, how do we have pa- boy jason down there what's going what what, what is this film to, trying to say to pad out what is clearly not a real movie <laughs> and is clearly not a script and to add nightmare and elm street level visuals and surrealism to it they we have a movie with two jasons you get hydrocephalic young Jason with a deformed head in his tidy whities for some reason. It's not swimming trunks. And you get a grown <laughs> zombie Jason. One is a vision in Rennie's head. And yes, her uncle Charles, who is for the life of me, every time I look at him, he looks like the guy from Lost in Space, but it's not him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he uh, He is like, if you don't swim, J- Jason couldn't swim. He drowned in Crystal Lake. You'll drown too. And in fact, he's still down here and he'll grab you. If you don't swim, you got to swim, Rennie, swim, Rennie. Um, and also Jason drowned in 1957. We're now far into the nineties now because this takes place even after new blood. So am I to believe that she was learning how to swim in the sixties? <laughs> Also, it doesn't make any sense. sense. She's too young to have been back at Crystal Lake all those years ago. And on top of that, on top of everything, we've established the fact the fucker didn't drown. He never drowned in Crystal Lake. He got out of the lake because he was then alive in the woods. So why was the, why the, the boy in the lake was a dream. It was trauma. He wasn't really a boy in the lake. He does. He 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 doesn't become a a, a lake zombie until Tommy Jarvis chains him down there. Mm-hmm. He was a zombie. Here's the whole thing, Paul. He was a fucking zombie before he ever actually drowned. <laughs> so ridiculous. And they're like, "Oh no, actually, he was a boy, and he actually did drown. But then he came back, and he wasn't a zombie. But then he became a zombie again." This movie fucking blows. And so it's yes, not just it a spooky story that he tells her. It's actually, he really is down there and he grabs her feet. And now she has this uh, after killing her teacher in a fiery crash and all of her friends are dead and everybody's dead. 
and they're lost. She's high on heroin. Suddenly her trauma gets unleashed as the fiery wreckage of her teacher's police car. They also saw a cop get brutally murdered, ripped out of the cop car. Yes. No reaction. <laughs> He's the most Canadian cop I've ever heard in my entire life. Is <laughs> the thickest Canadian accent. And he's supposed to be in fucking Manhattan. She drives a cop car at 100 miles an hour into a fucking brick wall. She spends more time reacting to the fire in a toxic waste puddle, where she then has a flashback, cross-dissolve, to her childhood that she does her teacher who has at the same time she's fucking daydreaming about her fear of water is burning alive feet away <laughs> from her oh, every time this movie gets going they fucking interrupt it for either some kind of ghost jason crying out for help how is he a, how is the child jason a ghost if the body of jason is a fucking zombie and, and or uh, some needless flashback, which makes no sense in any timeline ever, anywhere. We've nailed everything that's partly wrong, or just about everything's wrong with this film, other than everything else, which includes the production values, the acting, oh, the performances, the characterizations. This film is god awful in every way, shape, and form. Is it a visual pun, Paul, that the heroine is on heroin? I think you're giving this film way too much credit. <laughs> They just went, what do people in New York do? They shoot up heroin. All right, she has to run across the worst filth that's possibly imaginable. Oh, we'll make her get shot up with heroin, which, by the way, after she kills her her teacher who's been caring for her more than her actual uncle does, and yes. the cop gets killed at the same – she's then running fine. No worries for oh, yeah. the rest of the oh, yeah. finale of the film. So she shakes that off real well. In part one, I asked the question, what if they had lived – and for Rennie, if I, when I imagine what if she had lived through all of this, because she does, but what if she had lived and what would her life be? Well, by 1993, she's dead of AIDS because they used the dirtiest fucking needle I've ever seen <laughs> to shoot her up. This woman is dead from full-blown AIDS within a handful of years of this. That means she's probably given it to Scott as well. So, Oh, sure, well, sure, yeah, sorry. fuck him. He's dead too. Paul, what's the best <laughs> kill of the movie? Uh, the There's only one. Stone, the hot coal no! stone in the chest. Come on. That was good. The best kill of the movie is Rock'em Sock'em Julius. Oh, fuck. When he Look, fucking punches Jason, when he punches Jason all the way across a roof and his knuckles are bloody and he's panting, he goes, fine, give me your best Take shot. Your best shot. Yeah. And he fucking literally knocks his block off and his head rolls into the dumpster. It's so stupid. You have to love it. Well, no, it's so stupid. I laughed, but it wasn't. It was just so dumb. I'm like, that's this movie to an absolute fucking T. Whereas the other one was, I mean, that guy's pain is over in a second. This other bloke gets a hot coal staving in his chest and put it. I laughed at that one a lot in a more, oh, that must have hurt sadistic kind of way. So I see where you're coming from. And I did actually like that. At least that character gave Jason a few licks. But uh, is this the best Jason? We've already answered no. that. No. No. Definitely is not. this the best final girl? Is Rennie your favorite final girl of the last six of the Friday films? No. I could, couldn't work out where I'd seen her before. It turns out she was in, she played, I guess, the young version or the cheap version of Rene Russo in like Major League Three. So that's her other claim to fame. She beat out Pamela Anderson and Elizabeth Berkeley for this role. Can you imagine how different the world would be if Elizabeth Berkeley was in this movie <laughs> and not Showgirls? <laughs> Well, th well, honestly, that she could have been in this and then later Showgirls because this is a movie yeah. that only came out in 89. 
Showgirls is 96. Well, I guess this movie is set in, what, 97, 98, 99? <laughs> when you're basing the fucking timeline. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. And that's what I love about it. It's very clearly, like, again, I know nobody gives a shit about the continuity, but we're marketing the Batman film before it's ever released, yep. but this movie is supposed to take place <laughs> in the goddamn 90s. Fuck out of here. I guess it could have been a Batman sequel. Whatever. Um, I give this thing a 2.5 out of 10. Oh, uh, I, I only... also give it a 2.5 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, but my 2.5 places it above the new blood. <laughs> uh, whereas, no. Oh, see, this is where we get different. Yes. This is the worst of the week for me. This is my worst film of the week by he- a fair bit. Hell fucking no. It's the <laughs> worst take you've ever had. I know where this is going. This is my number four for the week. This is the worst take you've ever had in the history of binge movies. You've 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 talked about 400 fucking films on here, and this one you are dead wrong on. Of course, I'm talking about <sighs> Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Spoilers, it wasn't. Which was released in 1993. I watched the unrated cut, and 16% Ooh. of Rotten Tomatoes is too fucking generous. <laughs> Horror has many faces, but pure evil wears only one. And this is your final chance to see it. goes to hell the final friday rated r starts friday august 13th at a theater near you this movie is directed by adam marcus with the screenplay by jay hewley and and dean laurie the only thing you need to know about them is they were like friends of the producer's kid or they were one of them was a producer's kid or whatever they had no business writing this fucking movie they, they, the story is ba- with all these same fucking losers. This is by this point, Paramount had sold it to New Line, so now this is the first New Line Friday film to be released. Um, it was released August thirteenth, nineteen ninety three, in a budget of three million. So they cut it by two. It still only made fifteen point nine million, and that's too much fucking money. Stoner teen delinquents wrote horseshit to send Jason and audiences to hell. <laughs> Betsy Palmer had Buck Rogers Colonel Wilma Daring as a child meaning Jason has a sister and if that makes no sense don't you worry neither does this film this is absolutely shit director absolutely shit direction this is the visual style of a big budget 90s porno this movie looks like Baywatch Whoa. which was the Baywatch porno ripoff which I have seen way too many times scrambled on cable trust me Yo, Sean Matt Radiators are still down. I can't find Barbie and Nancy. Find them. Their assignment is now your assignment. Jason is goofily, you know, bellowing out like fucking Darth Vader in Revenge of the Sith. No! The opening (laughs) sequence when they're fucking shooting him up and he's going, oh, 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 oh. It's like, is this a parody? Is this a parody of Friday the 13th? Because even if it's a parody movie, it's not funny. This entire movie borders on a direct-to-TV cable comedy series. The movie looks and feels and is totally like the weird science television show that aired on the USA Network. 
This is not fit for theatrical release. It's not scary. It's not, it is so stupid. Nothing is explained. None of these characters make any sense. It is the Freddy's dead of the Friday franchise. The Creighton Duke character is terrible. Unexplained. Purposeless. The entire retcon of, oh, that the, the body, that isn't Jason. That's just meat. Jason's a, a slug worm. It's inside of him. It's, that doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. And it doesn't, if it's just meat, then how come every time the slug worm gets into a body, it looks like fucking zombie Jason? Why, if it's just fucking meat, why would he come back in zombie? If he's reborn, why would he be reborn as a zombie? Why would he be reborn looking exactly the way he did at the beginning of the movie? It fucking sucks. The idea that his head is some sort of swollen pumpkin with a tiny mask fucking stuck into it, which they carry that over into the next movie, is so obscene and absurd. This takes the worst features of the bullshit Halloween sequels we reviewed and the worst features of the bullshit Nightmare on Elm Street sequels we reviewed, and it wraps all up into a franchise that is dead on its fucking feet this movie is dead on arrival. This is anti-vault material. It is a zero no. out of 10. No. Zero <laughs> out of 10. This movie is garbage. This movie fucking blows. All right. Time to leap to this film's defense. If by defense you can say it still fails. This film is not a good film. I'm not defending this film. It is. However, a guilty pleasure of mine, which I have talked about on several podcasts over the years and tried to defend it. I watched, This is the one, the first Jason film, Friday the 13th film I got to see at the cinemas. I took my then-girlfriend. We didn't last. Can you imagine why? <laughs> anyway, to see it, she sat through you it. You didn't last me. in a theater? You didn't last in bed or you didn't last as a couple? As a couple. <laughs> oh, I see. We saw the whole thing. I find this film to be everything that you've said yet, I give it not a pass. That would be too strong and generous a term. I have legitimate fondness for this movie. I think it decided to do this absolutely off-the-wall idea that unlike the Halloween films that you're referencing, aspects of it kind of work. This is totally a ripoff of a Richard Lamont novel called Flesh, believe it or not. So he was a – I don't know if you've ever heard of Richard Lamont. He oh, died. Flesh. <laughs> Literally, this is the description. No one had seen anything like it before. A slimy, mobile tube of putrefying flesh and an obscene probing mouth. But the real horror is not what it looks like or even what it does to you when it invades your flesh, but what it makes you do to others. Flesh. They've just read that book and gone, let's just give Jason a story now that explains, well, not really explains how, or explains how he's lived <laughs> no. this long and stick him into different people's bodies. And I get it. I get why the purists hate this because, I mean, Kane Hodder, is in the film more in his one little two one line cameo at the start of the film as one of the security guards at the morgue than which he is, is not actually funny, as Jason. Which is not funny. Uh, I thought that was pretty pretty amusing. No. But there was a lot of kills. I must have seen the unrated cut at the at the cinema because my again my memory is way bloodier and gorier than I've seen before. Yes, you're right. Jason should never vocalize. That was a mistake. Can't defend that. But in terms of some of the kills in this film. I had a lot of fun with it. I think the guy who's the lead, he's not bad in this movie. He's got a little bit of charisma. Uh, clearly, you don't agree, but that's all right. It, he's, he is a absolute fucking dork in a Letterman jacket. It's like they they cast him to be the bland good guy 
but yet he's doing like a weird George Costanza accent from fucking Seinfeld. You come out here to smoke a little dope. You smoke, come out here and yep. get slotted and have a little premarital then, sex. And yet he's a fucking and then hot, dork. Hot woman invites him. <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking. He's a, he's a fucking dork in a Letterman jacket. But he's not in high school anymore. But he got a girl in high school pregnant. Like none of these relationships make any sense. We're not just really, thrown no. into the middle as if we already know who these people are. The movie is visually, it's like vomit on the screen. It is visually hideous to fucking look at. The the the, the plot description, you, the, the, the the plot description you just read is fucking shivers, and you hated shivers. You shit all over. You said it was a terrible movie. That's the true. closest film equivalent to this movie is a movie that is actually far superior to this in every single way. It's a film called The Hidden. Go out yes. of your way to watch yeah, The Hidden yeah. and never fucking watch this. This is <laughs> dog shit. This is 100%, Paul. You hated Freddy's Dead. This is yep. Freddy's Dead all over again. We're nine movies in and we're going to suddenly explain the backstory. And instead of it being mystical sperm, Jason, that come and get Freddy and make him a dream genie. He, Jason is the mystical sperm. He is a fucking <laughs> glob of cum that goes up his dead sister's vagina to reanimate himself as a somehow again reanimated as How a fucking zombie horrendous. in the same clothes he's in the same fucking clothes so <laughs> apparently he's so magical he can reanimate a fucking hockey mask and clothes and a goddamn machete creighton duke I just think this is who so the fuck funny. is creighton duke Stephen and yes i understand the dagger is the the dagger from evil dead the what Pythagorean theorem dagger, whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. The Necronomicon is on the oh, fucking. There. I get it. Jason's a deadite now, and isn't that funny? And isn't that clever? No, yep. it fucking isn't. <laughs> it's fucking dog shit. This movie I'm not, sucks. I'm not being able to defend against this. Uh, I can hear the hatred. The zero out of ten though, and the nomination for the anti vault. Wow. Zero. No, I. I Again, have a certain fondness for this movie. I'm going to give it a 4.6 out of 10, and it is oh, my you're, you're fucking mind. You are out of, of your <laughs> fucking mind. A 4.6, folks. If you don't know who Paul is, a 4.6 in Paul's world, you might as well. That's like a nine in my world. That that like he, he, <laughs> he grades movies so harshly. This this is a man who gave Sunset Boulevard two and a half stars. He's going to give this piece of shit 4.6 out of 10. You're off yep. your rocker. <laughs> I, I, I did see the unrated cut, and I, here's what I'll say about the unrated cut, okay? Good kills. In the unrated cut, the Debbie and uh, uh, Tent kill uh, is way more graphic. Okay. How graphic can we get here, Paul? What's my podcast? It's pretty graphic. You tell, yeah, you what tell you me. Say? You think binge movies is as graphic as a podcast? You think it's pretty explicit? No, I, I wouldn't say it overly is. I think you think it crosses the line of decency. No, I'm about to. Movie sex scenes are entirely unrealistic. I'm not even talking about porno. I'm talking about Hollywood produced sex scenes. They're completely unrealistic yes. because they include no foreplay, no no attention to the woman whatsoever. Guys just mm -hmm. slide right in. It always just fits right in like a glove, and there's no problem. Yep, no awkwardness. If if you got a low key big hog, you know you can't just slide right in there. It doesn't work that way. There has there's a mm -hmm. warm up process. There is a, foreplay. 
Yeah, the foreplay. There's attention to detail that must be taken. And sometimes mm-hmm. things have to be shifted and spread a little bit to make it make things work. You understand what I'm saying? I do. This is the only sex scene in any Hollywood movie. Again, I watched the unrated cut, so I don't know if this is in the theatrical cut. Where the woman, there's no foreplay shown that I remember. Uh, maybe some nipple stuff. But the woman actually hand manipulates her crotch area to make the receiving of the mail more comfortable for herself. It's progressive. Freddie goes to hell. Jason's final Friday, whatever the fuck this is, might be the most anatomically correct sex scene in movie history. (laughs) I can only assume it's because they just had people really having sex because this movie is junk. It's a porno. The, have you ever seen the movie Body Melt, which I think is set in New Zealand or Australia? I think it's Australian. Yeah, I did. So I yeah. saw it at the cinema. You saw Body Melt in, the, in the theaters? Yeah, in our little local alternative cinema. Was it a re-release or do you see it back in the day? No, is this, I'm thinking it's like 91, 92, 93. Yeah, so yep. Holy I shit, Paul. You're the only person on earth who saw that in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> Go us. There is a body melt scene in this when Josh, the cop who was Jason pukes out Jason into somebody else's mouth. And he then the body decomposes and he fucking melts into the ground. Mm-hmm. It's already a fairly impressive visual effect. It's the only impressive visual effect in the movie, but the uncut version, it just goes on and on right. and on. And he just goes to complete goop and it's really actually fucking disturbing. So um, between the anatomically accurate spread job of the sex scene <laughs> moment and the moment of a guy turning into goo, um, those are only two good things in the entire film. This movie, bucket blows, zero out of ten. Best kill is Josh. This is the worst Jason, not just of the six. Yes, I agree. But maybe Five. the worst of all of them. Because he's not on screen, because Jason is jumping around in between. Even when Body he is, I, the the design where the mock hockey mask is so small and his head is like a fucking pumpkin sucks. It sucks. Don't uh, disagree. Is this the best joke. final girl? No, it isn't. Pumpkin no, sucks. you know what? Who is who is the best final girl who just gets killed off? Is suddenly the friend who was babysitting the baby who suddenly turns into an action heroine by yes. pulling out a shotgun. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to see that film. Where did she get she that? Suddenly training becomes from and- Linda Hamilton. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, zero out of 10, anti-vault. I'm nominating for the anti-vault. Paul, go ahead. Right, that's it. I keep joking about it. I've got your page up here. I'm joining so I can vote against that move. That's ridiculous. <laughs> click and join right now. Looking for even more unique and creative movie content? Become a patron. Choose between three levels and you'll get benefits like a personalized membership card, exclusive shows, early instant reactions to new releases, episode voting power, live streams, and more. Join today. Patreon.com slash binge movies. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. You gave it a what out of what? A 4.6 4. 4. out of 10. Yeah. Ready? You get a notification when someone joins? Uh, I don't have it up. I will because but I'm here talking to you. I'm in the moment. I'm living in the moment. Wait Paul. a second. Wait a second. Because boom. All right. I'm in. I'm stopping <laughs> that shit cold. All right, all right, all right. Well, you gave it a what out of what? It's your what? Remind me. 4.6 out of 10. It is my fourth best film of the week. Ah, fucking blows. Anti-Vault, <laughs> here it comes. 
All right, let's move along to a bare, basically a decade later, 2002's Jason X, which has 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. Coming soon. He is an unstoppable killing machine. What the hell is going on? Jason Voorhees. Guys, it's okay. He just wanted his machete back. Uh Uh-oh. He's been modified. Come on, you think? You guys might want to run. Jason X. I don't think he's out there. Why don't you stick your head out and have a peek? Rated R, coming soon. This film was directed by J- Jim Isaac. I was not Jason Isaac. That'd be real fucking weird. <laughs> Jim Isaac was written by Todd Farmer. It was released November 21st. Or no, Man, Why don't I say it fucking right? It was released November 2001 in Spain. And then April 28th, 2002 in the United States. Folks, I've said this. 20 bajillion times. If a U.S. released <laughs> movie is released nearly six months to a year prior in a country that is not known for getting movie releases <laughs> before it is released domestically, something is wrong. It's a tax shelter. It's a money laundering scam. The mafia is involved. It's a cartel operation. Or the movie fucking blows. Uh, We'll see what Paul thinks of Jason X, because he just gave the last one a 4.6, which is just dumbfounding to me. Uh, On a budget of 11 to between 11 and 14 million. Okay, that difference between 11 and 14 million dollars is $3 million. That's the money that came from a drug lord in Spain. <laughs> That's the money they can't account for and why it was had to be released in Spain first. It, 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 it only made $17.1 million uh, at the box office. Uh, synopsis is really simple. Jason goes to fucking space. Uh, yeah, having conquered all before him in current times on planet Earth, Jason takes his killing spree to space in the future because what else could this franchise do? Do you think Elon Musk named his rocket ship SpaceX after Jason X? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we just start with this? Uh, it is the final appearance of Kane, Kane Hodder as Jason, but it is also mm-hmm. the debut as an actor of who, Paul? Is it the debut of David Cronenberg? David Cronenberg, of all people, appears in this movie as Dr. Wimmer and is in the first 10 minutes of the film and gets brutally murdered by Jason Voorhees. Because this movie, very clearly, it I don't know what it is. It has to be their cameras, their film stock, the, the way they light stuff. If, if a movie is produced in Canada, it looks like Canada. It feels like Canada. Canada has a very specific, almost televisual uh, quality to it. High, pro- high, high production level TV show. But that's what this movie looks like. It looks like a very high level sci-fi original movie. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. Um, just to clarify, you're saying David Cronenberg's de- acting debut on Binge acting Movies, right? Debut. Not- Yes. yes. Okay, good. If you want to know about David Cronenberg, the films he's directed, Paul and I have covered The Brood, and we did an entire separate um, retrospective on David Cronenberg. 
which is uh, 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 was a very well received episode. So one of my, Good. I would say it's one of my top ten favorite episodes I've ever done. Well, that's very flattering. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed that discussion as well because it was about mostly good films, mostly, which is a rarity for me on this show. <laughs> Since when can Jason regenerate? Isn't he a zombie? Zombies don't regenerate. They don't. They've added this level of things. And I think it's actually a pretty good idea. As If you hated the wormy thing in number nine, well, what about the yes. fact that somehow through some supernatural, mystical, whatever it is, power, he's not able to die. And this explains why he can be blown up, exploded, shot, uh, whatever else and he always yes. comes back i like it i think it's good regeneration for jason is is a thing which by this stage in the in the franchise absolutely works i actually don't hate the idea of hey there's something genetically off with him which might even explain his deformity right that they play fast mm -hmm. and loose with because sometimes he's deformed and sometimes he's not um and sometimes he's a zombie and he gets Covered in toxic waste that's released at midnight every night in storm sewers <laughs> in Manhattan. And it washes away the zombie flesh to find a little boy underneath. Just, we forgot to mention that <laughs> awesome part of that. Film, yes. <laughs> is he a ghost oh. or is he a little boy trapped in a rotting zombie's body? We don't know. Also, okay, can we go back to that for a second? Also, okay, can we go back to that for a also, second? Okay, can we go back to that for a second? When his... The, the the masticated flesh gets washed away by the toxic waste tsunami that happens in the, in the storm sewers of New York every night. First of all, they're not in sanitary sewers. They are very clearly in storm sewers. Storm sewers handle storm water, not sewer. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't walk around uh, most actual like uh, 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 septic uh, uh, shit sewers. You can't do yep. it. You can walk around in certain places, storm sewers, uh, but they're not the same thing. Movies always tend to confuse those two things. Um, on top of that, if they just had a fucking tidal wave of toxic waste released into the storm sewers of New York every night, so many people would be dead. It makes no sense that they, this guy's just like, every night at midnight, they release the toxic waste. And it's like, what? What are you talking about? Anyway, it washes the zombie off of Jason. Before, not before he cries out in a child's voice, mommy, help, and then starts profusely vomiting water for no explain, no reason whatsoever. Oh, I, don't, I just don't get it. No, wait, when, he, when it washes away, when the toxic waste finally subsides, a and basically naked chubby little boy is there in the water shivering. Rennie and her boyfriend leave a child in the sewers. <laughs> is Jason really? Is child really Jason there? really there? It's a very good call. I don't, or is he I, a I ghost? Know. Because if he's really there, they left him in the sewers to die again. I, I'd have left him there too. It's all his fault. No, it's not child Jason's fault. It's adult Jason's fault. This is a this is your chance to. Rennie he tried to drown him. you. He, he tried to drown her at that point in time. As a zombie. Now he's a child again. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. He goes from being a child again, who's left in the sewers of Manhattan to be raised by a rat that knows Kung Fu, to then somehow getting his ass back to Crystal Lake as a full-grown man zombie, who then actually is a slug. And then we go to the future of 2008, in a movie that was shot in 2002 and he's not a slug <laughs> deadite from 
fucking Thamascara or whatever the fuck he is from the Book of the Dead. He is actually just uh, a mutant, basically. He is an X-Men who can regenerate. He's Wolverine. He is a... Uh, Wolverine's Canadian. This is the New Jersey version of Wolverine. <laughs> and that's their explanation. I don't hate it, but we're so far along into them just shoveling bullshit on top of bullshit on top of bullshit on top of this character uh, that I'm like... I think you're just going to go with make- it by this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. So you're saying this is Although like James Jumping Bond- forward so far into the future at least uh, deals with our problems with the timeline because now yes. we're out of the timeline completely. So... Yes. Okay. We, we're almost we're almost resetting here, in a way. Because I, I had this film been a success, what were they going to do? Like this, does, you don't have anywhere to go after this film, as far as I can tell. No, but here's the thing: it's set so far in the future. You could always any movie you make that takes place before this is in the past. Oh, I could any wake movie him up before you make after yeah. this that is sets in the past. He hasn't gone to space yet. <laughs> On that timeline. Oh, God, yeah. can you imagine that? The multiverse of Jason. He, well, Jason goes full interstellar by the end of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're still not sure uh, he actually dies at that last bit when he gets, you know, basically eaten up by the Earth's at, or whatever planet. It is, oh, Earth no. I, I, don't, I don't think the idea is that he's dead. I think the idea is he's going to kill horny teens on a new planet. Earth 2. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he lands <laughs> at Camp Crystal Lake at Earth 2. A couple <laughs> of horny teens stumble What are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds? Um... <laughs> Speaking of horny couples, we do get a we get a trope. We get a, a horny couple here, but this time they're a horny couple in space. Way hotter, so much hotter. Yeah, um, <laughs> we can't keep their hands off each other. And the film then does something a little bit interesting, which is it actually kills off arguably the most attractive cast member first, which is not something you see very often. The other thing it does is it gets the sex out of the way because they fuck real early in the movie, and then there's no more fucking, really, no more nudity. Yeah. So I, it's like, okay, we, we got we to gotta give you this. Other than there's like the gag nudity that happens a little bit later. But um, it's like, okay, we got yes, okay, we got to do the trope. Here it is. And, um, the, there's the, every, all the other nudity is a joke. The robot nudity where she takes her top off and her nipples fall off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, I just love premarital sex. Ooh, want to smoke dope with us and have premarital sex? I that love cool. premarital sex. That was a good moment. Sex. It's a very good moment. Um. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I this is uh. Here's what. I, okay, this made, this made me laugh. Okay, can I jump in? Go ahead. Go ahead. This made me laugh. So this is set in the year twenty four fifty five, right? They, they established that at some point during the course of the film. It starts in two thousand and eight. A female scientist, Jason, gets loose. They're going to cry out, put him in cryostasis to study his DNA. He gets loose. He kills everybody, including David Cronenberg. He machetes the female scientist who's against the entire idea of even keeping him around at all, but they can't kill him. They've tried everything to kill him. And then he machetes through the cryo chamber door, which she tricks him into getting into guts her, but then she's frozen with him. And then 400 years goes by. Yes. Yeah. She's discovered by high school kids on a class trip it's a high school kids i think it's a, a college kids with a co- professor college kids on a class trip to find junk on the old earth i don't know but they mm, find jason some sandwich. kind of yes. yeah so they say it's 455 years later yeah and maybe i missed it maybe it wasn't 2455 so maybe it's actually 2053 anyway regards that small slight timeline thing because that's this, this yeah. series to a t <laughs> everyone 
on, well, not everyone. That's Jason. That's the Jason. 455 or 470 years after. We, they remember this guy, but five years later in Jason Lives, no one remembers anything. Okay, that's interesting. There's absolutely no chance that 450 years in the future, anybody knows who Jason Voorhees is. A guy who killed, they say, oh, he killed over 200 people. He killed over 200 teenagers at a camp in New Jersey 500 yep. years ago. Nobody yeah. knows who the fuck this guy is. No, absolutely not. So that made me laugh a, a bit. But anyway, fine. We're, we're getting behind that. I, I think this film, it reaches for the stars, no pun intended. It just absolutely swings for the fences. It does not give any shit about falling short. The special effects are exactly what you expect from a 2001 relatively <laughs> low-budget production, even though it's very high by this franchise's standards. But I think the creativity here, yes. the ideas here, like making Jason be reformed and recreated into this uber Jason, this basically now he absolutely is a Terminator. There's, there's no, they're not even hiding the nanobots. Shit it's nanobots yeah. plus Jason equals Jason X, AKA uber Jason. Yes. I think that's brilliant. I wish we had had a lot more uber Jason than what we actually got. Like, I think it's almost that they fumbled that the potential for that to have a lot more fun with it than the, the 10 minutes. Maybe we got at the very end of the film. But that's a small knock on what is otherwise, I think, a pretty good Friday the 13th film with some good kills. Again, the version I saw seemed to clearly be cut, towards, especially towards the latter parts of the film. Some of the kills are very circumspect in the editing. I have to imagine that's another MPA effort. But a couple of them, there's a couple of brilliant kills in this movie and one of the probably the greatest Jason kill of all the films put together, in my opinion. I know the one you're talking about. Um, I think that, oh God, okay. How do I feel about this movie? By this point, this franchise has been run into the ground. <laughs> we, we have to go, we yeah. have to remember, this didn't start with very much. There's not much really here to this franchise. And somehow we are, this is our ninth, 10th, 10th entry. 10th <laughs> is our 10th Ten. entry into this fucking franchise. <laughs> About a woman trying to get revenge for the death of her malformed son. And now we're in space. It's 500 years in the future. <laughs> and I think that they, what is great about the movie is they know that this entire thing is stupid. And they have completely leaned into how stupid it is. And they are just as aware of you that this, this really is a dumb idea. And they're, but they, they're having fun. You can tell that everybody's having yes. fun and it doesn't feel like crass. It doesn't feel um, sleazy. It doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like, okay, we're just going to fucking make this because we got to make some money. It, it just, it feels as if, Hey, we're, if we're going to go to space, it's got to be kind of silly. It ha it, it's, it's a, it's a Friday the 13th film really mashed up with, you guys get, especially back in the day, did you guys get a lot of Roger Corman produced movies over in Australia, like in your video stores? Mm, you're talking about the, it's not the Full Moon Productions? No, Full Moon is Charles Band. Uh, Roger, oh, Roger Corman's had like three or four different production companies, but uh, like he, he did like the Carnosaur movies. Never seen a Carnosaur film. Not to say they're not there in the movie, th in the yeah. video stores, sorry, but I haven't seen one. Okay. So they would reuse a lot of the sets. And a lot of Roger Corman movies were set in space because you, you could have production value on a relatively small budget or whatever. And you have a confined set and you have a reason for the, why everybody's on the same set. 
because they're in a spaceship. And they would reuse the same spaceship and for every fucking sp- space movie they made. And every That's space movie they made was basically aliens done shittily. Poorly, yeah, of course. Yeah. This movie feels, part of it feels very much like that. It feels very, very much like um, a Roger Corman film. But it feels like these guys have seen Roger Corman films and they know how shittily most of these are. And they're leaning into it in a way that I don't think that when Hellraiser goes to space, which I think is Bloodlines, when Leprechaun mm-hmm. goes to space. Ha, I've never seen that. Uh, <laughs> they, 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 of all of the franchise serial slashers who go to space, this is the best one. And I think I think some of the jokes are actually really funny when they holodeck when they trick Jason into going into the hologram room, and they recreate Camp Crystal Lake, and they have the two slutty awesome. girls smoking weed, and, and and the girl gets into the sleeping bag, and then that's and they where recreate they the sleeping to the, bag yeah. kill, yeah. But this time they actually kind of show it, and he's just putting her, turning her into mush, and, and then Bam. we cut away. Bam. And they're like at the computer because they're trying to get the airlock open because the yep. ship's going to explode. And Jason's just in the background bashing her into a tree. <laughs> and they come back and he's still, because she's still alive. She's still like, oh, oh you're killing me. And, he just, and I think that is funny. I think it's really funny. Yeah, I agree. That's a great um, gag. And then when he realizes that it's just like a hologram and he like, it just... I think it's a great gag. I think this movie is cheesy, stupid, yes. bad. Yes. yes, but say but, but. Thank you. I actually like the movie. I like Jason. Yeah, me X. too. I think it's good natured. The robot is so corny when she does the fucking Matrix flips and shows up like Trinity and just blows him apart and she ends up in a fight with Jason. Why in the world they leave his corpse in there with the nanobots? I will never understand. Just fucking blow him out the airlock when he's dead. Get rid of him. Yes. Yes, of course. I mean, the implication is they're so stressed out about the impending explosion of the ship, they can't yes. just rush to to get on to save themselves. Like, I can kind of buy that. That's okay. Um, yeah. It's bonkers. I like the fact this Jason, movie is bonkers, and I like it for that I reason. like the fact Jason still manages to find a way to smash through glass in this yes. film, even though he's in set in space. space. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in space. I think it's fantastic. Um, and, uh, we did get to cut away from the death of the professor, which I thought was a bit shit. We really should have seen him be decapitated rather than to see his head later on. That was a little disappointing. Yeah, I uh, I take this film. There's, some of those gags work pretty well. I think this is like, uh, what's his condition? He's screwed. That, uh, that gag is pretty funny. <laughs> it's shaped like yeah. a big drill bit. Yeah, I like that. Yes. That made me laugh too. I'm not sure how Brodsky or whatever comes back after being stabbed that way. That that line is stupid. They've, every so often it just goes too far into the cheesiness. Yes. Like, you have to do better than that. Stabs him again. Yeah, that'll do it. No, I love that one. I actually... Oh, I, I had a <laughs> when he, Yeah, he was like, you're going to have to do better than that to take out a big old man like me or whatever he says. And then he stabs him again. He goes, yeah, that'll do it. I thought that was great. Yeah. I thought it was like, because this is so stupid Let's just lean into the stupidity of it. And they, because it, it's om- honestly, it's almost a parody of Roger Corman movies. It just so happens to also be a Friday the 13th film. 
And I think that I, I don't know, for some reason that whole, having watched a great many shitty science fiction films, I, I appreciated them taking the piss out of those. Um, the best kill of the movie is, of course, Jason smashing the popsicle head, taking yes. the woman, dunking her head Liquid into nitrogen. nitrogen, picking it up. First of all, the effect itself of where her head crystallizes in yep. camera. Awesome. Awesome is, shot. Is the best shot of the movie. Yep. Maybe the death best shot of the franchise. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, and if we were doing the top 10 kills across the Friday the 13th franchise, that's my number one for sure. So, yeah, I'm glad we agree on that one at the very least. I don't really care for Uber, Jason. Oh, you don't? I think it's a great idea. Not well, not it, well enough utilized. I will agree. Yes, I think it's a great idea that's not executed all that well. Um, I, I don't know. I just uh, it doesn't do all that much for me. But for this, even though there's some there's some structural issues, there's some when people learn certain things and figure certain things out. You could have there's some stuff with the doctor that's really poorly written between him and the guy that he's trying to. I don't know. It's just it's kind of fucked up. But um, I'm not gonna like the movie's so stupid. I'm not gonna sit here and rewrite it because that'd be really boring. I'm gonna give this a four out of ten. Four. That's a that's a that's a that's a thumbs up four, but it's still not very good. <laughs> I went. I I'm giving it six out of ten. I enjoyed my time here. It's my third best of the week. I uh, this is in the the top half tier of the Friday Thirteenth films for me. It's my third best of the week as well. Yes. Well, let's get to our final film. In the Friday series, which they was the finally the crossover that was promised to us be, after Fellini turned down making the movie, <laughs> part seven. I'm talking about Freddy versus Jason, which was released in 2003 and currently has a 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. For generations, they have been the two biggest names in terror. He may get the blood, but I'll get the glory. Freddy's coming back. And this summer, for the first time ever, she's mine! Two legends will come together. It's time to put this bad dog to sleep. Of course! Freddy versus Jason. Winner kills all. Rated R. Film was directed by Ron Yu. It was written by Damian Shannon and Mark Swift. It is the triumph return of Robert England, last seen in our Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective. We did last spooky season, the spooky season of 2021. It was released August 15th, 2003, and a budget of $30 million. It had a, made $116.6 million at the box Ooh, office. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but it feels low. But you have to remember this is incredible return. This is a decade after the heyday of uh, either one of these characters. So Mm -hmm. Um, Ken Kinzinger uh, uh, takes on the mantle of Jason uh, for the first time here. Who was uh, he was the cook on the boat in Jason takes Manhattan. No, he's not on the boat. No, no, not the cook. He's at the the diner. No, he's the cook in the diner. And Jason takes Manhattan. When Jason walks into the diner right. and throws him into the, the glass because he hates fucking mirrors and hates glass. Yes. yes. You're correct. The ultimate face-off between two horror icons is finally here. And whoever wins, we wins. Because this is the goddamn last one in the series. <laughs> did you say whoever wins, we wins? <laughs> yeah, I did. I meant win. <laughs> whoever wins, we wins. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is this more of an Elm Street movie or more of a Friday movie? I think it's more of an Elm Street film, to be fair. Oh, yeah, right? This is an Elm Street movie. Yeah, there's way more in the dreams and way more around that. And Jason just happens to wade into I think the one exception to that is the scene in the in the cornfield party where that becomes a full-on Jason film. But otherwise, this is absolutely straightforward, a Freddy film and that Jason happens to feature in. So the controversy was we didn't cover it during the Friday retrospective. And people are like, well, where was Freddy versus Jason? And I said, well, just stay tuned. And now we're doing it during the Friday series. I didn't feel like we could really do this movie until we had completed both franchises. Both makes franchises. Sense. Makes sense. Yes. I've already covered the reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street uh, with Jackie Earl Haley. I've already covered the reboot of um, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. So it just made sense to get through the Nightmare series and the Friday series before we got here. Even though I agree with you, this is much more of a Nightmare movie. That being said, I like the idea of Fear, which empowers Freddy because he's been erased from existence in this small town. Again, here's this idea of reemerging that the contagion <laughs> yep. of Freddy has been stopped. It has been, it has been so greatly diminished. And for the, and in those people who they couldn't get to forget about him, they just fucking quarantined them and they put him up into a nut house and they medicated him and they kept him away from everybody and and yeah i and and the ones that couldn't stop dreaming about freddy they just put him in a medically induced coma where they didn't experience REM sleep and just i like the setup of this i think it's really intelligent um one of the ideas when they were switching from um jason to tommy jarvis was the writer said that he almost wanted to do like an anthology series where you could follow where the killer wouldn't necessarily always be tommy but right. it would be people who had been infected with the violence that Jason had per- perpetrated so that you could yep. see the ramifications of the trauma of mass violence. It's Halloween. We're going to have a good time tonight. I don't know if that's what he's saying now to try to elevate his stock as a writer because he wrote junk, but <laughs> I like that idea. The fry, the, 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 it almost works better, though, in the Nightmare series where there is this idea that Freddy is almost, even in the, we talked about it when we did a retrospective of those movies, the idea is already percolating by Dream Warriors. It's almost as if Freddy is like a shared virus, that the more you talk about Mm -hmm. him, the more empowered he becomes, the more real he becomes, the more violent he becomes. I really like that idea. Um, And that's, I think, a Wes Craven idea or a Frank Darabont idea, and it, it finds its way. So the idea of, the opposite would be true as well. You quarantine, you erase, you you delete history, you delete Freddie from the record, and he's not he's so diminished in his power, even if you dream of him, he can't hurt you. He's ineffectual. So the idea that he's like, I need to find somebody, because I'm not physical, somebody physical that I can manipulate to stage murders that look like I'm back <laughs> to get people talking about me again so I can actually come back, I think is a really, really good idea. And tying also, that into the idea that you were talking about where, where Jason regenerates, if I could get this guy to regenerate and because he's kind of mindless and I present myself as, to, as his mother, which goes back to the early entries into this series, yep. 
I can get him to do the killing for me. People think it's me. Then I get to come back. I think that is fantastic idea. I agree. And it also builds on this concept that Craven played with in new nightmare. If you remember back to that one where he needs belief in him. He he wants to yes. become as pervasive and as out there as possible. He's not in the nightmare, of course, it's not Freddy. That's just the personification of this evil, yes. or this icon iconization of this evil. It's playing on that in a sense as well. So I think yep. it, it's taking arguably some of the better concepts in both of these franchises and sticking them here together on the screen. Yes, yes it's cheesy still. Yes, it's very silly at times. But I think overall, the balance of what they achieve here is better than probably realistically could have been hoped when you just started with Freddy versus Jason. This is going to be terrible. And surprisingly, mostly it wasn't. There's, there's visual details here that I think only come because you have an Asian filmmaker who the visuals are very significant. The concept oh, this is the best of directed film by a mile. I, think. Uh, I don't think it's better directed than Jason lives. I think it looks better. I think, oh, well, okay. And, and maybe I'm responding newer, to the fact that, yeah, yeah, sure, it's newer, but also just some of the camera movements and the because he's playing in a dreamscape, so you get to play yes. a lot more with what's going on. So we can tilt That's the camera or whatever. Yes. Right? So we can we can move the camera in ways that you wouldn't do in the real world, so to speak, because yeah. it would take me completely silly and over the top. So yeah. that I guess maybe I really responded to. But if you were just grounding in the real world of Jason's world, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Number six still looks great. I like the idea that they almost become elemental forces where mm -hmm. Jason is represented because it's like, that's an idea that I don't know that anybody ever really picked up on of again, going back to this, these, this was a real rivalry between these two franchises, Paramount versus new line, a major studio versus yep. an upstart. And Freddie clearly won that at the box office. Um, but it was like, you know, and in popularity, Freddie became everything. And Jason just sort of was also there. Um, still an icon, but but the idea of well, one character's tied to water, the other character's got tied to fire. Now, do I need a character saying Jason died by water, Freddie by fire? How can we use that? No, I don't need you to say that. <laughs> it was fairly fucking obvious. Also, I don't the whole concept that actually Jason's afraid of water when we clearly see him several times have no problem, including going from <laughs> Crystal Lake to Manhattan via yeah, water, walk, walking way, on yes. the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And, now the, and Jason lives. He just walks right into the water and then comes up out of the water. To the so I don't think he's afraid of water. I think he drowned maybe in water, but whatever. So sure. Okay. I can accept it. I like the idea that when we first, we pan across to Freddie, during that cold open, which I think is phenomenal. I think that mm. that summary of both franchises and then tying Very the clever. idea. And I think that is so clever. I think Robert England, it's one of his best performances in the series. I think that narration, the Springwood slasher, that's what they called me. Right. I think that is phenomenal. I think a pretty edgy shot of a little girl cowering in the corner and like, Ooh. yes, uh, yes. Very edgy him. Yeah. Licking the photos and just, Oh God, it's very creepy. Um, but when you when we pan across Freddie for the first time, he's blue, which Freddie's never been blue before. If you notice that his eyes are blue, his skin is blue because right, yep. he's disempowered. He has no power for him. Yes. Hell is cold because the boiler, the fire that's tied to his powers, his capacity. If you remember in the nightmare series, Kristen goes into the dream and he's gone. They buried him. He's dead. And she feels 
the boiler and he's like, see, it's cold. He's not here. Yes. But if you mm-hmm. keep talking about him, you're going to bring him back, which is what happens. And the idea when we see him, he's cold. He's, he's the color of, of blue. And then as the movie progresses, if you watch, his skin gets more and more red until at the end, when he, in the dream sequence, he comes out almost as a completely bright red demon flying up out of the water. He's completely yes. inflamed. I think that is a stroke of genius. Um, I think where this movie is let down is the fucking cast is terrible. (laughs) I I don't disagree. They're they're just cast to be, you know, pleasant on the eye, I guess. And yeah, the dialogue is the worst part of this film. But I don't watch a a Friday the 13th or a Nightmare on Elm Street film for its pithy and clever dialogue. Again, I'm there for inventive kills i'm there for hopefully a clever enough premise that, that it can all hang together that's essential in this movie you're bringing these two yes. horror icons again and you, we've described it already and we both agree they've done a really good job there it's, i'm certainly not giving it a 10 out of 10 don't get me wrong here i'm just saying i think this is a good film for because it achieves what it sets out to do which is kill a whole bunch of of people of characters it's sometimes in inventive and, and fun ways fun you know from the psychopathic point yeah. of view from the i'm a horror film fan point of view and to have these two go at it, which they do go at it pretty hammer and tongs in the last 15 minutes of the movie, which, good, thank God, because for a while there, I was a bit worried it was going to be a neutered, pathetic kind of final brawl, but it's not. Is this movie good because it has a fake Jason Mewes? I made that exact note. Is this guy meant to be Jason Mewes? Are they just ripping straight off the viewer's verse here? Yeah, like, he's What's Jay. going on? Yes, he's 100% Jay from Jay and Silent Bob, to the point where Jason Mewes was like, had they asked me, I just would have done it. He's like, I just would have played Zoidberg or whatever the fuck this character's name is. Yeah, he's just like, I was like, I just would have fucking done it. They could have just asked me. But instead, they just completely ripped him off. They ripped off his behavior. They ripped off yeah. the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he dresses. The fact that he doesn't say snoochie boochies is just, that's the only thing holding it back from this being Jay. 100%. If he had tucked his penis and did the Buffalo Bill dance, it would it would have been like, oh, my God. They could have had a lawsuit. I Honestly, I shit you not. I'm not a Kevin Smith fan. I straight up think they could sue over that character. Yeah. That goalie was pissed about something. The character of Freeberg, I think, was, I don't know that you would even say inspired by the Jay and Silent Bob character. I, I feel like it was sort of a direct ripoff. It almost takes you out of it because you're like, Wait, is that that guy from Jay and Silent Bob? And what is he doing here? I mean, it was amazing when they offered this and I went and I played Freeberg and it was like a lifelong dream. Come- Wait, I didn't play Freeberg. I wasn't in that movie. It's so much very clearly. And I don't know why he's in that in the movie. I don't know why they decided to add Jay from Jay and Silent Bob into this movie, but cast a guy that looks just like him, but isn't him. And then- Zeitgeist. We're just, we're just trying to get anything in. The, but it doesn't, it's not a joke. It's not played as parody. It's just, he's just a guy. He's just a ripoff character with no explanation. Um, I think the, some of the Freddy digital effects, especially when he's the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. With oh, the fucking it's terrible. Long, it's looks like it comes terrible. from Jason X. Terrible. Yes. Yeah. It's awful. The yeah. Twice as big. So I agree. I agree that it falls over in some of those places. The, the, uh, of all of these, this is the first one I ever saw in theaters because I was finally of age and it mm-hmm. was the big crossover that we'd all been waiting for. And I saw it, I saw it in theaters and even in theaters, some of the digital effects sucked. When he rips her nose off, Kelly Rowland's nose, yeah. that always looked terrible. 
Um, obviously, she drops an f bomb where she calls Freddy Krueger an f slur, <laughs> which is just yes bizarre. Um, he also has a probably something you couldn't get away with today, which is a spin off of when he goes in the his movies is how sweet fresh meat, which is really mm-hmm. gross because again yeah, the subtext he is he's raping children, and the subtext with him and women is he's a rapist, right? That's mm-hmm. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Tongues are through the phone. Like that's what makes him so disturbing. And the fact that he became again like a kid's clown icon is so sick. It's so weird. But then in this one, it's a twist on that, and he goes, "How sweet, dark sweet. meat." Mm-hmm. It's like you can't fucking do that. <laughs> like Freddie would say so. that, but it's that's that's not. I don't think that would fly today. I agree. I agree. But at that stage, again, you, you watch the films in their context. In, tw- in 20 years ago, almost, you could get away with saying those things and it was okay. We know now it's not, but uh, it does make him even more disturbing. And and indeed, same with the F slur. Now, her, that her word then, yeah. Her death, when she's like, you're not even scary, you're not even scary. And he's doing, he's just sort of very slowly doing that James Cagney walk that he does with the glove mm-hmm. up. And then he stops, and then he he honestly, I think this is one of Robert England's best performances is Freddie, when he just like points behind her with the with the dagger finger, and she turns around and Jason's there, and he just whacks her like I don't even know that he really cuts her, he just whacks her with the machete, with the flat of the blade, yeah, flat of the blade, and throws her in the tree trunk, snapping her neck and killing her. I thought that's incredible. The other thing that I really liked is the the other death is, well, it's not even the full death when the girl from ginger snaps. Yes. Um, when she's in Freddie's the boiler room and in Freddie's not quite powerful enough yet. He's about to get her though. He's a, but, uh, there's, well, there's that scene where he's about to get her, but before he's about to get her is when she falls and he just goes, Oh, he almost has like a faux sympathy for her because like she landed really fucking hard and he goes oh Oh, don't worry about my little Aaron boy the only thing to fear is fear himself Like there's just what it is is it's the it's Freddie at his funniest dialed down enough to where he's actually funny again. Because we remember when we talked about the nightmare series, it got so over the top it was not even funny. It wasn't even sadistically funny. It was just pure buffoonery. Certainly by five, but I think you thought by four. So yes, but they dialed him down just enough that he's got those funny moments. It's just more timing and it just it to me it's like okay this is honestly it may not be one of the best friday the 13th movies this may be one of the best nightmare on elm street movies by a mile uh robert england's great in this it's good and what i liked and i was coming to there with with where ginger snaps um dies is he's about to get her and then suddenly just blood explodes out of her and and the look of shock on his face and then you realize She's been in the traditional Jason impaling two people having sex, which is also a really uncomfortable moment because there's some guy who's literally raping her or about yes. to do so because yes. she's unconscious there on the ground. So, so this yes. whole 
um, non-consent moment. Yes. She dies there as well, which is which is kind of heartbreaking in a, in a way, but it's a, such a good moment. And that's where Freddie realizes, I can't control Jason. This is not going the way that I thought it no. was going to go. I'm going to have to take him out now myself. That's great. I've set you on a job, but no, Jason's not controllable. No, she was mine. Yeah, yeah yes. You're right. Really good moment. And then we, we get arguably the best death in the film, which is when the guy who's organized the party, the fat kind of jock, ish character is running yes. away from it does the smart thing is he just runs away from jason it's who a is corn on fire. rave yeah yep walking through the yep. cornfield with a, with a pretty cool shot from above with a trail of flames behind where jason's walking because yes. all the corns get set on fire and he just throws he's like get out of here and then he throws the flaming machete blade which bursts through his stomach or through his sternum and he falls over and dies like that was cool well done well done movie i enjoyed that one well, he throws a pitcher of beer on him and then, or liquor, or whatever it was, and then lights him on fire and goes, burn, motherfucker, burn, and then runs away from him because he's yep. not dying. Very clever. And then just very, Jason just slowly walks like Frankenstein on fire through a cornfield. Yes. The only thing that's bad about that is if you look close enough, you can see the blood tube. It's very prominent. You can see the, uh, no, I missed the that. contraption okay. on, the, on the guy's chest. Yes. Um, yeah. It's a good kill. I don't. A little bit, as much as we just shut on the characters, because you know, obviously, Laurie's not much of a, a really of a final girl. She works or an actress, boyfriend. Yeah, or an actress. Her boyfriend is, uh, I think it's um, uh, what's his name? Ritter's son. John, it's John Ritter's son. John yep. Ritter's son. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, Jason whatever. Ritter, I think. But, yes, that's his name. We get the. I guess he's meant to be the the geeky kid who's got a crush on Laurie. And he keeps getting knocked shut down more by Kia, so Kelly Rowland's character, who's really awful to him. And eventually, he's had a couple of drinks, or been forced to drink. Is his name shuts L- her down. Lloydberg? Lloydberg? What's his name? What was his name? Uh, Linderman. Linderman. Yes. Yeah. Actually, and his Linderman death shuts- is really sad. I was going to say we just got through saying the film isn't very, the characters aren't very good, but no, I actually he's- felt something when he died. Yeah, he- he's one of the better characters, though. But he's one of the better actors in the movie. That helps. That doesn't hurt. But he really sells. He shuts down Kia. And then now she's kind of interested in him because they almost, the film doesn't do a good enough job of this, but it almost no. implies they start to develop feelings for each other, which would have been maybe yes. in a longer cut would have been really awesome because he effectively dies to save her. He steps up in front of Freddie and also um, Jason Ritter and, and Laurie. And then Jason uh, flat arms him into a, whatever it is, some kind of uh, bracket sticking out of the wall and he gets impaled on it. But then, manages to get Kia out of there and, and she stops over him and he's like, no, you just go, you just go, you go. You, you, it's okay. It's okay. I'll follow you when I get, it's okay. Go, go get some help. Here she go get some help. She runs straight back in and, and gets killed herself. I'm like, well, you just made Lindemann's death for nothing. God damn it, woman. So, yeah. Well, the reveal of it too, though, is when it just like slowly, he's like, really watches her, slowly around. He just watches her walk off and then very slowly the camera pans down and you see how much blood he's lost. Yep. And you realize he hasn't moved since the camera's pan. He's he's died from blood loss. And it's like not even a direct kill from Jason or Freddy. He's literally just swatted away and accidentally gets stuck with something. And that that's like you're in a slasher movie and the slasher didn't even think enough of you to kill you. You just died by accident. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. Like anyway. Kind of heartbreaking, yes, it is. Um and the same with the uh the other guy I kind of liked was the the cop who was not in on, on, on the conspiracy to keep Freddie yes. from spreading and, and Stubbs. He just gets killed really fast as well. I thought he could have done a lot more and I thought that was setting him up to be a bit more of a, of a, yeah. of something in the film. 
And the death was lame, just being electrocuted. Yeah. Oh, it was mm-hmm. stupid. It Again, was like almost was, incidental. That, incidental. That that almost goes back to like the um uh uh Jason takes Manhattan when the the dork the, the dork who's got the hots for the bitch gets electrocuted in the bowels of the ship. It was like that's just a repeat of that shit. Um, oh yeah, yeah. When that causes the fire. Um also, I think it's a stroke of genius that okay, the movie, these movies, the Friday movies have told us all the way through that underneath it all, Jason is basically a child. And so the idea of yeah. who does Freddy terrorize the most but children. And the scene when he finally reveals that it what like Freddy's been presenting himself as Pamela Voorhees, when he reveals mm-hmm. that Pamela Voorhees, he's not, it's been him, he's been manipulating the whole time. And Jason goes berserk, but then he reduces him to a child. Child, yes. And his fucking torturing, shivering, scared, deformed child, Jason. And he's like, now there's a face only a mother could love. <laughs> it's like you almost feel sympathy for Jason in this movie a little bit. He, of the two, he is definitely the closer to a protagonist of the two monsters that we get. I do laugh. It is corny as fuck. And some people hate it, but I do laugh because of Robert England. When in the dream, in Jason's dream world, when he's ping ponging Jason around, and then he goes, "Oh, tilt!" Yeah, <laughs> because no, that part, that's where it's too far for me. Those kind of moments. <laughs> no, it's just it's so it's classic Freddy. You know, it's so it's kind of stupid. I liked it. I'm gonna give it a four point two five, and of this week, it's number two. Wow. I think you, you made the joke earlier on, mark your diaries, ladies and gentlemen. This might be the first episode in the history of binge movies, which I have yeah. guested on, where my overall average score is higher for the films than you. I'm, I like this film. I legitimately had a good time with it. Again, for what it is, the moments we've talked about don't really work for me, but the concept is very good. Some of the execution is a little bit off, but overall there's a glossiness and a... And a uh, I think there's more care taken with this product than I could ever have hoped for, really. And it doesn't surprise me that it took the most money by a long way, even though I had the biggest budget also equally by a long way. So, yeah, I'm giving this a six and a half out of ten. It is my second of the week. Well, our rankings are fairly similar. It's just our scores are wildly different. Um, If you're wanting kill counts for Jason Lives, my kill count says 19. For The New Blood, it was 16. For Jason Takes Manhattan, another 19. For Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, the biggest body count with 27. Jason X had 25, and Freddy versus Jason also had 25. 21 for Jason and four kills for Freddy. Actually, technically speaking, Jason X had a much bigger body count because they destroyed a whole bloody space station. Oh, that's actually true. Somehow their spaceship, though, was about three times the size of an entire space. At one point when it yeah, goes cruising straight through it. Yeah, you're yes. right. Still. <laughs> like the space station was this, like like are these all little people or is that where all the space leprechauns are is that where they're stationed <laughs> in space okay let's it's time for us to give a recap of part two coming in dead last for me is a number six is jason goes to hell which give a zero to ten anti-vault material straight away coming in, number five is the new blood which give a two out of ten number four jason takes manhattan 2.5 out of ten number three jason x Four out of ten. Bonkers, but I enjoy it. Number two, Freddy versus Jason. Yes, it's more of a nightmare film than a Friday film, but it's a better combination, a better pairing than we probably deserved. 
4.25 out of 10. Number one with a bullet, as Paul said, Jason lives. Eight out of 10. Now, had Freddy versus Jason ended the way they intended with Pinhead appearing and saying, what seems to be the problem? And that was going to set up the three of them. Um, I don't know that that's a good movie, right? Like the Cenobites versus Freddy versus Jason. Like it gets a little wonky. You're there. pretty involved, wouldn't it? To have to try to, to keep the pieces moving. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure how that would work, but I'm sure they could work out a way if that's what they wanted to do. But of course we've had nothing, nothing for 19 years. Well, other than the remake of both. All right. What's your recap, Paul? Coming at number six, the worst of the week. And as we'll find out, possibly pretty close to the worst of the franchise is Jason Takes Manhattan with a 2.5 out of 10. The New Blood, slightly better, three out of 10 at my number five spot. My number four spot is Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, 4.6 out of 10. Uh, fine film, nothing wrong with it. <laughs> as far as 4.6 out of 10 goes. Jason X is my third best, <laughs> six out of 10. And Freddy versus Jason, I give a high, high, six and a half out of 10 as my say two spot and my number one, as Jason has said, and we both agree. Our entry to continue in the shortlist is Friday 13th, part six, colon jason lives with a 7.2 out of 10 all right paul as quick as possible i'm going to give you my total definitive ranking of the friday series coming at number 11 jason goes to hell the final friday zero to ten coming at number 10 friday the 13th part seven the new blood two out of ten coming at number nine friday the 13th part three 3d two out of ten so it's a tie there uh coming at number eight is friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, 2.5 out of 10. Coming in at number 7, Friday the 13th, <laughs> Part 5, A New Beginning, 3 out of 10. Coming in at number 6, Jason X, 4.0 out of 10. Coming in at number 5, Freddy vs. Jason, 4.25 out of 10. Coming in at number 4, Friday the 13th, 6 out of 10. That's the original. Coming in at number 3, Friday the 13th, part two, 6.75 out of 10. Oh, Coming in at number two, Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter, seven out of 10. And the single best Friday the 13th film ever made. Number one, with a bullet, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives, eight out of 10. My aggregate score is a 45.5 points out of a possible 110 and my average score for the franchise is a 4.1 same same but different we differ on a couple of key points so my worst friday 13th film across both the episodes that we've done is undoubtedly friday 13th a new beginning 1.6 out of 10 for me oh, then shit. at number 10 for me friday 13th part 8 jason takes manhattan with a two and a half out of 10 my number nine spot is Friday the 13th Part 3 with 2.8 out of 10. My number eight spot, Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, 3 out of 10. My number <laughs> seven spot, <laughs> this is confusing because I go back and forth on my list. Uh, this one goes to Friday the 13th Part 2 with a 4.5 out of 10. My number six spot goes to Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, 4.6 out of 10. That's right. I say it's better than Friday the 13th Part 2. My number five spot goes to... Friday the 13th, the original, 6 out of 10. My number four spot, Jason X, also 6 out of 10, but I'm going to give that one the slight bump because it's got better kills. Number three, Fre Freddy versus Jason, 6.5 out of 10. Number two, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives, 7.2 out of 10. And my favorite Friday the 13th film after this rewatch of all 11 of them is Friday the 13th, the final chapter, 7.4 out of 10. 
Holy shit. So you're saying the single best. This is where it's really going to break down, right? You're saying you've added Final Chapter and Jason Lives. Yep. Yep. I've added Final Chapter and Jason Lives. But I'm advocating for Jason Lives as the best out of all of them. And you're advocating for Final Chapter as the best out of all of them. Which means if yep. our competitors in Laughs Movie Standard are listening, uh, you you got to go with our your pick from part one and my pick from part two, right? Yeah, I think that's probably fair to, fair to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's getting very very confusing. I don't very even complicated know anymore. <laughs> Paul, tell the people at home who you are and where they can find you before I get you out the door and back on a plane all the way to Australia. Well, I'm the guy that has sat through eleven Friday Thirteenth films for. <laughs> Your entertainment in this spooky season. Jason, how are we going to top this? What are we going to do next year? Because I'm coming back. And by the way, you're going to come on our show before the end of the year. So you need to come back now and I'm going to put you through the ring of some top 10 list that mortifies your soul and have you and Wayne go at it. So I hope you'll be kind enough to accept my invitation, which I've just now declared as a decree. (laughs) There's only one possible place to go from here. And that's college, Paul, because that's where ghoulies go. Oh, no. Myself and my friend Wayne, we do a countdown every week. I'm sure you know if you've listened this far through these, these two episodes back to back. <laughs> We've had Jason on before. We're going to have him on again. He hasn't said yes, but I can see in his eyes looking at him across this camera that he's, he's shaking his head no, but his eyes say yes. <laughs> so come along and listen to Jason there as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. I cannot for the life of me express how much fun it is sharing the mic with you and pulling these things to pieces your your insight even in a franchise like this is second to none and i'm often marvel at how amazing you do and that's why you have the listenership and the base that you do and a new patron as of today as of today who is going to stop this absolutely <laughs> ridiculous nomination for friday 13th jason goes to hell being anywhere near the anti-vault i will not stand for it ladies and gentlemen so yeah the countdown moving tv reviews is where you can find me I take your praise, I take your money, and as a father to me in film podcasting, may I just say to you, happy Father's Day, Paul. Oh, thank you very much. If you want to know how to control me, just put on Paul's sweater and tell me what to do. I'll have no choice. (laughs) And when you're finally gone, Paul, I promise you I will keep your head on my coffee table in my living room with candles roundabout. Married for 18 months with the same woman for 11 years. That's the sweetest thing anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. You know what time it is. It's time to move on to our next episode. Until next time, binge on.
spirits, demons to some, angels to others.